So, Berto, I have some emails here for you and I to read on the air and then answer. What do you say, Berto? I love it. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist, and I'm also a professor. My name is Umberto Castaneda, and I name stars for a living. So, Berto, I haven't really get, had a chance to talk with you about the protests recently, the George yeah. Floyd situation. And I just wanted to, I've talked about it in a lot of other episodes, but I just wanted to hand over the mic to you so you mm-hmm. can talk about how you feel about the situation. Oh, man. I actually, I did a, a live stream the other night about it because I was feeling so, so upset, so, so many emotions. Um, and I guess my, my main thing was I grew up in Colombia in a time where there were a lot of, there was a lot of social unrest and a lot of protests and things like that. Inevitably, I think it's always the case that whenever the structure in power sees the disenfranchised, the powerless, protesting, they always want everything to be very organized and peaceful. Like basically, yeah, look, we'll throw you a crumb. Like you can go out with your little placards and say, I'm angry about something, but just keep it civil and then we won't have any problems. And look, nothing's going to change as a result. Just Let's just be clear about that. But you can have your protest. You can tell us you're upset. And this, I've seen it growing up. I, you see it in history. And you definitely see that syndrome right now. Now, I, of course, don't endorse, and I would personally never go and break into a store in my own community and steal stuff. Um, that is very unfortunate. That is very misguided. That is very... Uh, self-destructive. At the same time, it's a little bit like a force of nature. Uh, you, it's kind of hard to complain to the hurricane. You know, like, ah, oh, you're destroying our houses, you hurricane. Well, the problem is that when you build a system that is violent towards an oppressed community and you let it bubble over and bubble over and bubble over, at some point, it gets out of control. So then you should neither be surprised uh, nor, you know, and, and you shouldn't be surprised that it bubbles over. You shouldn't be surprised that there is violence that comes along with it because not everyone is a rational actor. Most people are not that rational. That said, by and large, peaceful protests. And uh, I, I hope some good comes from that. It's just painful. Like I can't imagine, I can't even fully relate, right? Because I, I'm not a black person. I have been discriminated against in this country, but I certainly... Um, you know, I haven't seen people that look like me be dragged out and killed left and right in this country at this time. Um, so it must be so frightening, so horrific. I, I have friends that are parents that, that are uh, uh, black Americans that have kids and they are horrified. You know, I see their posts or I, I've talked to some of them and they're they're just so scared for their kids. They don't know how to communicate with them. Um, and then unfortunately, a lot of times people dismiss it as like, you're being paranoid, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, so my, my summary of my take is horrific. It's ongoing. It's systemic. We got to do better. We got to train people better, cops better. We got to pay them better, train them better and have, you know, have Dr. Honda branded empathy injected into all our veins. And, uh, we, we got to try to keep you know, our, our protests functional and productive at the same time, uh, society and the government should neither be shocked nor chagrined that we've let it get so out of control that of course it's going to, bottles are going to break. Dishes are going to break. Yeah. Well said. 
as a citizen, I just, I worry about people. I'm skeptical about whether or not things will actually change. I have hope that things will change in the long run, but we've been here before. I'm not trying to add levity here, but so I have a cat and it's a young cat. I have two cats. One is young. The young one doesn't seem to want to learn. He keeps ruining my, my couch, my leather couch. And I just look at the cat and, and I'm, you know, like I, I'll put him in the bathroom by himself for a bit. I'm like, don't. Then he started like jumping on my TV. I'm like, don't. And I'm like, why are you not learning? You know, I, I'm going to put you in the bathroom. It's, it's not going to end well for you. And, and he just like stubbornly keeps going. And I had this feeling the other night when, when I was looking, I didn't, I couldn't even watch the whole videos, by the way. I just saw like a little bit of the beginning. I'm like, oh my God, this is too horrific. But I kept thinking, I mean, we, we're just like cats too. Like, why can't we learn? I, I, I realize the dude might be latent racist or a blatant racist or what, all those things, right? But even if, even if he is in, inside his head, he's a racist, why does he... Like, I just can't make that connection of like, why do you want to like go so far that like, did you not really realize what you were doing? Are you that dumb? Like, I, I just don't get it. And so it's, it's really hard to process. And when you really just think about it, and I said this when I was talking to Bob, when you really think about it, and I hadn't really thought about it until recently, because again, at the time when I saw the video of the George Floyd death, I thought, well, I've seen hundreds of videos like this. Yeah. This is but one of hundreds. And okay. And we, there have been famous ones, Flando Castile and others. <laughs> in, in some ways, Flando Castile is worse. I mean, the guy shot him like, I don't know how many times, and the, he was reaching for his wallet. Yeah. With this situation, it's obviously awful as well. But, and I started thinking about it. I was thinking, okay, let's look at the, the details here. And this is repeat from a previous episode, but... You have a police officer who has someone obviously subdued on the yeah. ground, handcuffed, knee on his back, on his neck, and then for, for nine minutes-ish, and then the last few minutes unresponsive. So we know that happens all the time. This is happening in dark alleyways. This is happening away from cameras all the time. <laughs> the difference here is that this is broad daylight in Minneapolis, which is from what I understand, a fairly liberal city yeah, with a half dozen people uh, and, uh, standing around yelling at the cop and filming it. Yeah. And like two or three people filming it the entire time. He is looking straight into the cameras, yeah. knee on his neck, total. So that says something. Yeah. And then you have, I think three police officers who were fired as well, who were just standing around watching this happen. This wasn't like with the Flando Castile case. I can't remember his the police officer's name, but he suddenly got freaked out, pulled his gun, and shot three, yeah. you know, five times. Right. The other police officer didn't have didn't have time to react. In this situation, the three police officers at any time within that nine minute span could have said something like, "Hey, let's uh, let's take a look at him." And or, you saw that they were also kneeling on him. Three of them were. And so those other police officers in broad right. daylight, knowing they're being filmed, the entire thing. And there's probably, yeah. they probably know other cameras are around, security cameras, their own badge cams, which yeah. I, don't, I don't even know if they had turned on. But that tells us something about what police officers, or at least those four, believe to be true. That Absolutely. Not only is this okay police work, but it stands scrutiny. And if this guy dies, 
this is totally justified. Yeah, yeah. We, we will not lose our job. We will not cause any riots. We will not cause... This is the norm. Of course I'm doing this. In the way that when I take my garbage cans out to the curb and place them out in the broad daylight, I don't worry about anyone filming me in that situation because that's what I do. That's, yeah. I'm a homo. You know, I, I bring my garbage cans... I don't care if you film me. I'm just bringing my garbage cans to the to the so yeah. that yeah, you know what are you going to do? Like this is normal. I'm totally justified. That's what it says, and it's so it's not a bad apple. Is the point right? Yeah, I totally agree. This was not a case of someone with uh, like trying to get away with something. You know, like oh, no one's looking. I'm going to try to get away with being mean to this dude. You're absolutely right. That's what my my probably poor, but my example with my cat is when he stares at me right in the face <laughs> as I'm telling him stop, and then he still jumps and tries to pull down my TV, and he knows he's going. But anyways, this is like like in the cat's mind, he's like, "What? I'm everything's fine, right? This is by the book." That's exactly you're, you're absolutely right. This points to a systemic problem where, th- as far as they knew, as far as the cops knew, they're like. I mean, I don't know why everyone's like yelling, but it's probably because people are weird and they're too sensitive. We're just following what we would normally do, which is this guy's a risk and we're subduing him. All right. Well, let's take a break. When we get back, let's go on to patron emails. What do you say, Berto? Yep. Let's do it. All right, Berto, we're back from the break. Patron, upper, upper tier patron Kathleen wrote in. And asked the following question. She writes, and she, she, she has been sending us lots of short questions. Oh, nice. So her first short question for us, which I always enjoy, Lyndon sends these sometimes too. And we actually have some short questions from Lyndon later. If you had a quarantine, if you had to quarantine with three famous people, living or dead, who would, it, who would you choose? So, so when I first read this question, I was like, <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, what famous people would I like to hang out with? But right. then I reread the question. This is quarantine, meaning you're stuck in your apartment or house with these three people for months. Right. You can't leave. You can't go to the store. You're quarantined with these people for months. So I thought we'd break it up into three dead people and three living people. Birdo. Let's yeah. go with our our three dead people first. All right, all right, all right. Yes, I did the same thing because at first I was going with like just whoever I would want to meet the most. Then I, I subtly changed it to like, wow, I, I need to be able to to stand them for a long time. But then I also realized, oh, wait a minute. They need to be able to stand me too because if they can't stand me, it's going to go south as well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like for example, like I could say in the living category, I could say Paul McCartney. Of course, Paul McCartney, right? We're going to write songs together for a month. Like, wait, I is, thought is that what Paul's going to want to do? <laughs> I thought the exact same thing. Okay, so let me start with, with Dead. <laughs> okay, um, first off, definitely Mr. Rogers. I, I know I've, I've named him as, but because oh. not only is he a hero of mine, but he's patient. He probably could put up with my bullshit and I would definitely put up with his bullshit. And, you know, I feel like we could, I could, you know, I could fangirl just for like a few minutes at first, but then be like, but it's cool. It's cool, you know? Uh, and then we could we could probably start a new 
podcast or a new, you know, channel, you know, in our captivity. Uh, so that's one. Uh, the second one is, uh, I'm going, I'm reaching back in time, back in time. And I don't know if this is going to work. This will probably go south, especially because I don't speak the language. <laughs> but Galileo, man, Galileo. And here's my thinking. Since we don't actually speak the language, there's already a natural social barrier. So I'm not going to like, we're not going to overwhelm each other right away. But I, I will learn. And and Italian is, you know, Italian. Well, I can understand a bit of Italian. Let's say you could communicate with him. What what good would that do? Oh, because... you know more about astronomy and physics than he does. Well, factoids, sure. But I mean, as far as like... In fact, actually, that'd be great. I'd have an in, right? Because normally, if I was in his time, why would he want to talk to me? What am I going to teach him, right? But this is good. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. I realize you're like super smart, but... I, we don't have access to the internet. And then like Mr. Rogers goes, or uh, uh, he, uh, Mr. Rogers goes like, hey, um, we do actually have access to the internet. I'm like, oh, no, 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 it got cut off. And then I like cut the cable. So we can't actually look up information. So I'm your source of information about all the latest and greatest. And so Galileo, you can learn a lot from me. But that's so all we'll that's going like, to happen is because he can't teach you anything. He still well, thinks I, that Jupiter has like four moons and stuff. <laughs> but he can teach me a way he can teach me math and he no, probably he knows more about math you and geometry about than... math you'd probably know more about <laughs> geometry than he does fine damn you're it. basically okay. just bringing a dumb person into your house so you can teach them things no no because because uh as we know genetically we're about the same okay how about a young galileo so we can train him and then he can become a new genius Right. Okay. Okay. It's like we catch them young enough. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fine. Maybe that one wasn't the best. Okay. And then the third one um, would be Karen Carpenter. Oh, awesome. Right. And then because you know, I- I'll be like, well, look, you you take the lead vocals, of course. Uh, well, and I'll she like... plays drums, by the way. Oh my gosh, I know, right? And you could play everything else. I I'll, I'll be like, here, I'll play. And then she'll be like, okay, I guess I guess if I don't have my normal dude, I guess this will do. Um, and then I'll harmonize a little bit, and she'll be like, shh, shh, it's better if you don't harmonize. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. But it, w- it would still be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that'd be amazing. That's a good choice. Yeah, Mr. Rogers. Yeah, so for me, I immediately went to my three that I always say, which is Sigmund Freud, Virginia Satir, and John mm-hmm. Colby. But then, again, I, I went to the quarantine situation, and I thought, you know, all three of those people would probably be <laughs> terribly... I mean, I don't, I don't have any knowledge of how John Bowlby was personality-wise, but I don't think he was very warm. And I definitely know Freud was kind of an interesting guy, but Virginia Satir is a... She... I don't know. She's like the Robin Williams of the therapists, you know, like okay. <laughs> very energetic... So I immediately scrapped that, and then I thought, okay, well, I I would want one, you know, is it John or is it George? And I thought, definitely George, because he's easygoing, he likes to jam, he likes to play his ukuleles, and he seems really quiet, you know, he seems like he (laughs) would stick to his own room and not bother me. And then I thought, Anthony Bourdain. Because you got that's a good choice. You got to have someone to cook food for you, and a great conversation, and tell yeah. all sorts of stories. Exactly. And he seems like he seems like a chill guy, right? Like, yeah, he'll put up with a little bit of your BS too. Yeah, his his um, cooking show that he had. I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever watched it. 
Uh, it's on Netflix now, I believe. And that was the, the that was the big part of it. Uh, the one he where he travels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, no no reservations or whatever something or, like that. Yeah. He the main part of that show was him just talking with locals. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, they would have food on the side, but it was mainly totally just hanging with interesting. That's locals. a brilliant choice. <laughs> and then I said Bob Ross, but I like Mr. Raj better, Mr. Oh, Rogers better. Yeah. But that's why I picked Bob Ross because yeah. I was like another Channel Nine, another PBS yeah, nice yeah. person that would be that, but could teach me how to paint. You know, uh, I, totally. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? But I, I want to see if I'm being selfish. I want to see the daily live stream from your kitchen with the three psychologist people, because that would be hilarious. You know, like, are you projecting on me right now? Oh, I think you're being a little passive aggressive personally. And like, and you're just throwing all these little terms at each other. And ah, it would be awesome. (laughs) That would be awesome. All right. Three living people you'd like to quarantine with to answer patron Kathleen's question. Now I do have a question. Is this, like the current kind of quarantine or is this a more dire sort of quarantine? Current quarantine. Like we might have to, okay. Cause I was going to, I was at first thinking like if it was a little more dire, I would go with like some survivalists, but okay. So in the current quarantine situation, I'm going to have to go with number one, Jack Black. Oh. Cause I be can awesome. do music with him, but you know, he, he's like, he's chill and he's really good, but. Um, he's chill? He's chill, you know? Like, you've seen his his channel, you know? His, I have. Uh, I wouldn't call him chill. Well, okay, maybe that's the wrong term. What I mean is, he, he can hang. He yeah. was in Colombia. Yeah. He can hang. He, yeah, he's agreeable, I guess. Agreeable, and he's he's a superstar, but he's not like Paul McCartney. Like, Paul McCartney, I just, I don't think I could handle the truth, you know? Yeah. I, don't I think, would annoy the hell out of Paul McCartney. Yeah, I don't think Paul is going to go number two in, in your toilet and talk, and talk about it afterwards. Whereas Jack Black, he's yeah. going to be like, I got to drop a deuce. Yeah, that's exactly. So uh, that's my numero uno. <laughs> um, a second uh, would be Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh my God. <laughs> no, Why? no, hear me out. Hear me out. Because, uh, you know, I could, I could be like, dude, I loved your videos. But then I'd be like, let's get in shape, man. Let's do some, let's do some taekwondo. Let's do some martial arts. You know, we do all sorts of exercises. He'd have me doing the splits, you oh know? And he's older, so he's wiser, you know? Is he wiser? He's wiser. Is he wiser? Is he wiser? It's a good... You it's know a good... the characters he plays isn't necessarily him, right? <laughs> what? Damn it. Um, I still think it'd be fun. Plus, think about that yeah. that reality show with Jack Black, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, yeah, I'd you watch know? that. <laughs> and then lastly... You're gonna. Everyone's gonna hate me for this, but Megan Fox. <laughs> oh my God! So you basically are just picking three super obnoxious people to add to your obnoxious. <laughs> but hear me out on Megan Fox. This sounds like the, the worst uh, <laughs> quarantine house ever, but the best reality TV show. <laughs> yes, this is true. No, but the reason Megan Fox though is because I I think this is a perfect opportunity for her to get her away from David Silver, right? Like this, because I've always felt it was an injustice that she ended up with David Silver from Beverly Hills 90210. So this is the perfect opportunity because she, you know, we're in quarantine. I want to go see my, no, you can't, we're in quarantine. And so like it, it makes the world right. And I have it on good authority 
that when she's not pretending to be a ditz in a movie, she's not a ditz. So we can actually like have conversations and play music and Wait, and fall for me. Okay, right. there it is. There it is. I was waiting for that part. All right, for me, it's Keanu Reeves because I picked all mellow people, so I didn't. I didn't pick any. <sighs> Keanu Reeves Jabba. would be awesome. Keanu Reeves seems very mellow. He's very yep. quiet, but I. I think we're similar age. I, we'd have a mm-hmm. lot to talk about. He has cool bikes. And he could teach me how to shoot guns. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bill Gates, because I think Bill Gates is also pretty mellow. He seems like a mellow, mellow guy. And he's got tons of money, so we could take, like, helicopter rides and, you know. Oh, wait, this is Quarantine Plus Plus. Okay. Well... Yeah, okay. Sky's limit, Bill I Gates. see. I see how we and are. And he seems like a smart guy, someone to talk to about, about various various things. And then Tom Hanks. He, he, oh, so Tom, I, Hanks. I, I, Tom Hanks. Okay. Yeah. I'm all for your first and your third. Okay. Um, the Bill Gates choice seems great in the sense that you, you, you're first you're quarantining there in your house, and then Bill's like, "Dude, we're getting out of here. Come, we're going to my pad." Uh, and you're like, "Where are we quarantining?" And it's like the submarine base that no one knows about, but it's decked out with all the best amenities and stuff. And since he's got like vaccines against COVID and tests and all these things, he's flown in people that have been tested and vaccinated and you get vaccinated and they throw the best parties down there in the submarine base. Mm -hmm. So I can see it from that angle. But I have it on good authority that the guy can be a little bit of a control freak, you know, when it comes to uh, stuff. So you might be like, cleaning well, and at like, work at work i could see him being that way but I, but i in my head this is my house so i'd be like bill take it easy take it easy bill and then and then sure yeah <laughs> well and you have tom hanks to help you know mediate a little bit right yeah and Keanu, bill, bill, Keanu bill, Reeves would it, take it threaten easy. to karate chop his shoulder if he <laughs> all right tougher bluff birdo interesting trivia questions are better at helping people learn than merely providing the information. Tough or bluff? I, Interesting trivia questions, such as this one, yeah. are better at helping people to learn than merely pro- just telling people the information. Tough or bluff? Gotta go tough. To me, it's like a mind palace. You know, it's, it's a way to remember information is to visualize it, attach it to little things that are... So when you have an interesting trivia question, you might remember that because it's like, oh, that was the one about whether Chewbacca can step on his own toes or whatever. And as opposed to just like, did you know that some Wookiees can step on their own toes? I think trivia question for the win. It's tough. You are right. And since that is the only tougher bluff, this is the first time you're going to go 100%. 100. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about workplace ostracism. So this is from anonymous patron. This is, I think a long time ago, she emailed this. Hmm. Like when you raise ostriches at work? Yeah, and I've been saving this one for you for a long time. Workplace ostracism. So there's this this, uh, article that she gave me. Mm -hmm. I can't can't remember where it came from. Um, Ignoring, excluding, or overlooking a coworker. So that's workplace ostracism. So you're you're being ignored. You're being excluded. You're being overworked or overlooked. Sorry, not overworked. Overlooked. And the research study found that ostracism was more common than harassment, like Mm. not just sexual harassment, but like bullying, more overt aggression, if you will. 
more than 70% of respondents said that they had experienced some form of exclusion in the prior six months, while only 48% reported being harassed or bullied during that time period. They write, um, the impact of ostracism appears to not only be unique, but stronger than the impact of harassment. Berto, what do you think? Oh, I could totally see that. First of all, I've experienced it. I've seen it. I've done it. Um, what do you in my line it? of work, I've, I've ostracized. I've ostracized people. Uh, I'm, I'm not proud of it. I didn't probably do it fully on purpose. I was younger, but I've done it. So in my line of work, you have to look at the sky and like look at stars and name them. So there's a lot of people competing for the same thing. And since it's a very competitive environment, there's politics involved. And when there's politics involved, because people get promoted and blah, blah, blah. How many stars did you name today? That kind of thing. So uh, one thing that happens human nature wise is people start trying to stomp on each other. Uh, to get ahead. I have definitely seen, and I think it comes with a little bit of, like, some personalities are more passive-aggressive than others. There's some people that will flat out just um, call someone out in front of everyone, insult them. It's it's horrible. I've seen that too. But the other one is, I'm just not going to invite them to the meeting. I've seen it, and it's it's really weird because you... Like a lot of times I've been in meetings where a lot of the people knew that such and such should have been at that meeting, but the person that didn't invite them is like the person in charge or something. And so then you're like, oh, and then of course you can get feedback, but it's already awkward. The person's already been excluded. When I was younger, I didn't really have a good system. uh, I hadn't developed a good system for how to tell no to someone. And I remember a couple times where I set up meetings and I explicitly didn't invite someone because I just didn't want to deal with their opinion. Uh, it's horrible because then that person doesn't get heard. You probably make a mistake as a result. And then it comes back to bite you. Anyways, it definitely came back to bite me at least one time I remember where essentially uh, later on there, there was a problem with the project and you know this person was someone that would have known that that was the thing that we should have, we should have looked at. And so and now me personally, I have felt it. Um, there was about 10 years ago, 12 years ago, a situation where um, I pissed off the wrong person that was pretty high up in the organization. And uh, at first they were like including me in a, lot, in a lot of meetings. And then all of a sudden I started noticing that some decisions were being made and I was just finding out like secondhand. And then I asked my manager, I'm like, what's going on? And uh, he's like, yeah, I guess they had a meeting. Oh, you weren't at that? Oh, that's weird. Dude, I felt so horrible. Like, you know, like I felt excluded, like my opinions didn't matter. Um, and, and because it was a higher up doing it, it was, it was a kind of abuse, like a discrimination sort of thing. Um, in that, or not racial discrimination, but um, what, what did you call it earlier? Uh, harassment? Harassment. It was a kind of harassment because it's like, well, you're in power here and you're ex- explicitly excluding me. Uh, so anyways, I will say I have seen more of those cases in my career than I have seen explicit workplace harassment. Not that I haven't seen that too, but like I've seen more of, of those. So I, I, would, I would concur with that. Yeah, the key here that I think a lot of people miss is that our work relationships often are just as important and significant as our family relationships. Yeah. 
you know, we can all imagine going to couples therapy, but how many of us can imagine going to therapy with your boss or your coworker? <laughs> it sounds absurd, but yeah. it's, it is often needed. And I've dipped into that kind of marketing where I was like, hey, business, uh, how many of you hate at least one of your coworkers? I can help <laughs> you with that. And business would benefit because if people like each other, presumably there's better retention, there's, yeah. there's more efficiency, this kind of thing. And, uh, but yet we just don't do it. And so we all go to work thinking, well, it's just work relationships. What's the big deal? <laughs> but man, I mean, in some offices, you spend more time with your coworkers than you do oh, yeah. your spouses. So it is a, a very important thing. And belonging is a very important thing to us. Just because yeah. we turn 18 does not mean that suddenly all of our desire and need to belong goes away. Our need to belong is retained throughout our lives. And when you're ostracized in any context, work included, you're going to have some significant emotions about that. And again, what do you do about that at the workplace? You know, you can talk to HR, but are they going to do anything? Probably not. Do you have a way of saying, hey, let's have a sit down with the therapist who can help us work this out? What did I do that bothered you? Someone who can actually help you. Now, some businesses do have that, but it's not enough for sure. Now, the next thing I'll say is, for me personally, I like being ostracized at my university. <laughs> <laughs> That means, Leave me alone. Yeah, it just means I can focus more on the tasks that I enjoy at my mm -hmm. job. Uh, so when I hear about decisions being made where I wasn't in the meeting, I'm like, ooh, I dodged that <laughs> meeting. Like, even if it's a decision that I didn't, uh, that I don't agree with, I'm like, well, that them's the breaks, Kirk, you know? Like, ha have you always felt this way or has that come with maturity? <laughs> doesn't sound very mature. Um, well, no, I, I, I mean, I ask because I actually have become more that way in the sense that I used to, I used to, this used to hit me harder and I would feel more possessive of like, what do you mean you didn't ask for my opinion? Because I think when you're younger and narcissistic, you feel like every single time that anyone is trying to make any decision about anything, they should ask your opinion. Like your opinion yeah. is super important. Well, that that's not, <laughs> I mean, maybe that's for you, but for me, it was more a matter of belonging, Right. Like right now, I think maturity is one word for it. I think another word for it is confidence. Mm -hmm. Like if I get ostracized, I, I know that I am very good at my job at Antioch University. And I know that I'm well-liked. You know, I have, I've been there for 24 years. So I have long-standing relationships with people. So I, when I'm ostracized, I'm just like, well... I just kind of got, I just sort of dodged a bullet, but I know that everyone respects me or I think they do or something. Whereas when I was just starting out at Antioch, I would have been like, how come I was excluded? Do they think I'm a joke? Do they think that I'm not a real professor and the, you know, that mm. kind of stuff. So yeah. now the other thing here is that it says that, you know, more than 70% of respondents said that they had experienced some form of exclusion in the past six months while quote-unquote, only 48% mm. reported being harassed or bullied during the same time period. I would say that these are equal problems. I mean, the fact that you have half of people reporting they've been harassed or bullied and about two-thirds saying that they've been ostracized, I would say that 
you know, yeah. we don't have to apples and oranges that kind of situation. We just have to look at we got a problem in a lot of workplaces yeah. of of mistreatment in general, whether it's bullying, harassment, or ostracization. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I didn't, man. That's that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so to your point about us feeling uh, left out, I think for me, what happens is when I was little. Uh, I had this intense feeling of being left out. Uh, like whenever I felt I was being left out of something, I would get super upset and really, really frustrated. Uh, I, I, as an example, I have this very vivid, crisp memory, like it was just yesterday. I'm taking a nap, like a, a little toddler nap. That's how little I was. I'm taking a nap upstairs in my grandparents' bed. It's probably 11 a.m. or something. And then as I'm waking up from my nap, I hear laughter coming from the kitchen downstairs of my cousins and my grandma. I just hear the laughter. And I woke up to that and I was like, I felt so incensed. I'm like missing out on fun. And I just ran down those stairs. I'm like, what is going on? Why is everyone having fun without me? You know, I was so upset. I was probably in tears, dude. I was so angry. Um, I don't know exactly why. Maybe it was, you know, the abandonment fear and, and all that stuff. Uh, from, but for whatever reason, that was a feeling that ca- I carried over. And so, yeah, I've, when I've been at work and I used, you know, when I was younger and I would feel like, oh, there was a meeting I wasn't at or something. I think that, that would get triggered a little bit or a lot of it, you know, like, oh, I'm being left out. Uh, as I've gotten older, <laughs> I, I'm a little more on your camp where I'm like, Ah, dude, I'm busy enough. Uh, Can you do that without me? And like you said, there's more self-confidence too, where uh, I used to have this feeling that if I didn't comment on something right now, they won't hear my opinion and then I won't count or something. Whereas nowadays, oftentimes, I'll see these like super long threads of people going blah, 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 blah. And then I'll just jump in when I have time and I go, just catching up. Um, Yeah, I think we should have a meeting, blah, blah. Like, I'll be fine. You know, I'm like, I'm sure you guys have discussed a lot. Here I am inserting myself. Maybe I can be of value. Maybe not. Uh, and it's a more it's a more calm approach. But <laughs> I think when I was young, I couldn't do that. I'm, I don't even go that far. So when uh, right now we can't have graduation ceremony because of yeah. the pandemic, and it's a big bummer. And my university is just like essentially saying, "Well, I guess that's it. No grad. People are just going to graduate, right?" At my university. Uh-huh. And my program, we were talking about it and someone brainstormed that we would make a video uh, of all of us professors saying something giving a speech and then we would also have students submit their own hooding when when you get your master's you get a hood a master's hood okay and you put the hood over your robe and and so they're going to film all these different clips and then we're going to put it together and, and make a video for everyone and when I heard that idea, I was like, oh, man, that just sounds fantastic. And, you know, everyone is sort of chiming in on what they would do for it. And I was like, well, I, I can do video editing because I'm, I'm pretty good at that. And I've been, and so, and since that point, they've been refining what to do. Uh-huh. Uh, how do you do it? What's the speech going to look like? What's the video going to look like? And I haven't chimed in at, at all because <laughs> I'm just like, Okay, collective mind other than me, 
<laughs> figure it out. I'll edit the video and I'll post it. That that takes some time. Yeah. And I don't. Th- and from what I understand, I don't think any other faculty have that have that you know expertise. Yeah. And I don't care to enter. I don't care. I don't even care to like do what you did, which is like okay, just catching up. Sounds great. Like I'm just. I'm not even replying. I'm just, <laughs> let me know when you have the videos because that's when I jump in and then I'll post it and that'll be that. Nice. Um, anyway, There's something freeing about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. part of it is, I think, just being older and more established where you because j- I remember seeing older professors kind of do this sort of thing where they just seemed more confident or something unless they just cared less. All right, this next email is from patron Lyndon. He has a bunch of short questions. FPL. Uh, first question, what's the most backbreaking work you've ever done, Birdo? All right. Um, there are three candidates for me. The first one that came to mind, I was a teenager, and it was my very first paid job ever other than like my mom paying me to clean her car. Uh, someone at the church I would go to you know, they, they would post jobs for teenagers to do. And this one older dude posted a thing about, like, come do some yard work. You'll get paid. And I was like, oh, that sounds fine. Except I didn't know the first thing about yard work. I had barely mowed a lawn. Like, I didn't grow up with lawns, let alone any other type of lawn equipment whatsoever. We had no lawn. We had no lawn equipment to n- nothing. So I had no knowledge. My mom did have a lawn. I don't. Maybe I had, yeah, I probably mowed the lawn like once or something. So I go over there. Uh, the guy's instantly annoyed. I'm not going to say he was like disappointed that I was like a little brown boy, but he didn't seem like that excited. <laughs> and I, I felt like right off the bat, he was, you know, like grumpy. Um, this is in I, Tacoma? This is in Tacoma. And I sort of don't blame him because I probably had this like, lost look right off the he, he's like uh you're gonna have to uh, use this thing for the grass and then use this other little clippy thing for the things i probably looked like i didn't understand a single word he was saying because i didn't understand a single word he was saying then i started trying to do this okay the lawnmower fine i kind of got through it but he had one of those little things that is the 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 plastic that rotates really fast to trim the sides of grass do you know what i'm talking about a hedge trimmer or something or an edger an edger <laughs> see I, don't, I still don't know what these things are called and I sat there, and I would keep, like, it would keep getting into the, the side, so it would, like, leave a little mark. And he wanted it perfectly, you know, like, uh, manicured yeah. along yeah, yeah. the side. Gu- guys who use edgers are particular. <laughs> That's why they use those things. Yes. So I was sitting there, like, sweating bullets, like, and he's like, will you stop getting it into the grass? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, did it have good wheels? Was it, was it easy? No, it wasn't wheels. It was, you would hold it, and it would just spin, and you'd have to hold it at just the right angle. Wait, what? So you had an edger that didn't have a wheel on it. Yeah. So you were... You had like a spinning open a blade, spinning op- yeah. That you were just handling with your yes. own arms, just trying yes. to. Yeah, that's impossible. There's no way okay. to do that. Well, apparently he could do it because. Okay, and then the worst part. So after he's already annoyed me, and it's like, all right, now I need you to move these rocks. And it wasn't like a couple little pebbles and stuff. He had this. He had like demolished something, and they were these big slabs, big rocks, and a huge pile of them. And he wanted them moved. I ended up working at this guy's place. I, I think it was like a 10-hour work day that day. 
it was crazy. I don't think I got lunch. <laughs> I was so exhausted by the end, back broken, everything. And then he basically paid me, I think he paid me 20 bucks. <laughs> it was like a $2 an hour effort. It was so terrible. That's, that, I think that wins the trophy for me. <laughs> well, so for me, when I think about backbreaking work, Patron Linden, famous Patron Linden, I think about all the 70s and all the 80s when I was growing up. There's just so many times where you had a whole day of just doing something and you're just miserable the whole day, whether it was for money or I was doing a chore or just something along those lines. Like just talking about lawns, for example. We did have a lawn growing up, but it was, yeah. it was rocky. It was, it was lumpy. And we had a push mower oh. if, that was, I, I think, from the 19th century. And if you know what a push mower is, you have to, like modern push mowers are well-oiled machines that they work pretty well. This thing, it, anyway, it, so now that on average, painful. now on av average to the average 70s kid, I would say that I probably didn't do as much chores as other people did. But the average person did a lot of chores in the 70s. That was backbreaking. I think particularly young boys. But I mean, I had a job as a landscaper one summer. That was my wow. that was my job. Eight hours of of landscaping in the hmm. in in the sun. Fast forward four years, and I'm working as a ice cream man, just driving around neighborhoods, <laughs> uh, which which was not backbreaking. But <laughs> but anyway, when I think about the most backbreaking work I ever did, so there, what comes to mind is when I was remodeling my house. You remember the house I used to live in, yeah. in Lake City. And I remodeled so much of that house all by myself. Oh, and this was before YouTube and the <laughs> internet. I mean, YouTube was kind of around, but the, now if you Google, like, how do I sweat pipes or how do right. I install a sink or how step do I... Step-by-step guide. How do, yeah, how do I install HVAC or, you know, yeah. a, uh, a ground control outlet or something? Like, it's all there. Back then it was like, um, I, th I hope I'm doing this right. <laughs> and there was just so much backbreaking work in that remodel. It took me years to remodel that house. And again, I emphasize all by myself. I, I mean, occasionally I'd have a helper, but it was pretty much all by, but I liked it. It was sort of like my obsession. In a way, I was telling Stacy that today that when I remodeled that house, it was kind of like my podcast at the time. I was, the podcast, especially, so as soon as I stopped remodeling my house, I started doing the podcast. It, so <laughs> before I had the podcast to obsess about and spend all my free time on, I did it all in this remodeling of the house. And it was, pretty, it was all for nothing because the housing crisis crashed in 2007, 2008. And I had to sell my house for, I think, less than I had bought it originally. And so it was, it was remember, a very sad time. <laughs> I remember your bathroom. Like when you showed me, you had, the, you had gotten like this really cool sink and yeah like just all different tiles and tiles yeah the whole thing was tiled by hand little tiny tiles anyway oh man but i think about one day that was the worst which wouldn't seem intuitively like it was the worst but uh i installed gravel in my parking lot you remember my parking gravel. lot 
Yeah. Yeah. And so the truck shows up and they dump the big pile of gravel right kind of in the middle-ish. They try to spread it out a little bit, but it's not really. And I probably spent, I don't know how many hours, uh, leveling it out, which it seems like, well, you know, you're just kind of using a shovel, you're throwing stuff around. It was exhausting to the point where when Mm. I was done with it, every muscle in my body hurt. I felt like... I felt like the way I was like, I wonder if this is the way people feel when they do manual labor for their entire lives. Because all I could do, I couldn't think, I couldn't eat, I couldn't even go to the bathroom. All I could do is just like lay down and say like, I hope that I just go to sleep and like sleep, sleep. It was all encompassing mind and body and spirit exhausting. But from the sound of it, it doesn't sound that bad. You're just shoveling gravel around, right? Why why would that be so hard, you know? But it was, man. All right, next question that famous patron Lennon asked. I know you and Berto like the Beatles, but do you guys dig the Beach Boys too? Any songs in particular, Berto? Oh, yeah. Um, So I'm not to the Beatles level, but I was pretty obsessed with Beach Boys, especially in high school. Uh, Because of the harmonies, I was, you know, I've always been a sucker for great harmonies uh i had pet sounds uh i had the tape in high school i listened to that all the time uh my favorite song is good vibrations though uh i just think that it's got some really really interesting um moments uh and the bass is so interesting it was sort of ahead of its time too uh the, the way that it was constructed and i remember watching the documentary, uh, what was it called? Smile? Is that it? Wasn't that the name of the... Or is that his book? I don't know. No, there was some documentary about the making of... Uh, it, it had that song in particular. And it was, they played part of the song where it was just kind of like that... You know, the, like the buildup of it with the bass line going and everything. And it sounded so awesome. Um, I, I just thought that they were super creative, amazing harmonies... And granted, a lot of their music was sugary. And I think they didn't get that experimental until later. But uh, Brian Wilson had genius level, you know, musicality and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was a big fan. Yeah, for me, there were a, I don't know, a couple dozen records that dominated my childhood. And one of them was The Best of the Beach Boys. I remember it was... Mm. The cover was just a close-up shot of sand on a beach with a little bit of oh. uh, water sort of coming into it. And we listened to that. We listened to Car- Carlos Santana. We listened to The Knack. We listened to the Muppet Boy, the, the Muppet movie soundtrack, Pat, the Muppet Boy. Pat, Pat Benatar. <laughs> there, there was a smatter, or Hall & Oates. There were certain records that were just sort of part of my childhood and and the beach boys was definitely part of that um my favorite song is god only knows it's a perfect song um i can listen to that song all day long yeah uh i want to actually learn it but sometimes when i learn a song it ruins does that ever happen to you when you learn a song it ruins the song for you it can for sure especially because especially if it's hard to do right because then it doesn't sound good when I play it. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> but I feel like with God Only Knows, the key changes and the modes that are used are so 
fascinating to me and I can't pick it apart by just listening. I would have to play it on a piano mm-hmm. and really yeah. figure out, oh, that's where he goes to this inversion or whatever. He switches keys halfway. You know, there's some kind of thing there. And then once right. I would know that, I worry that somehow I wouldn't like it as much anymore. But anyway... Yeah, the Beach Boys influenced the, my most fam- or my most favorite bands of all time, the Beatles, one, uh, Paul McCartney in particular, Elliot Smith and the Shins. The Beatles, Elliot Smith and the Shins are I don't know, top 5 uh Elliot Smith and the Beatles are in my top 2. So you know, the Beach Boys had a had a big in you know important they have they they have an important place in the in American or world music and I don't know I don't know how to talk right now but anyway <laughs> no I, I I'm with you on by the way the shins when uh when when I was listening to what I, what I would do in the early 2000s is I would go on Amazon and I would look at people's lists you know people would put like if you like this some some user put together a list of what they like and I found someone had put together this list of indie music and it had the shins on it and the way they described it was it you know it's like a beach boys with this that and the other thing and i was like oh that sounds really interesting ordered their cd and i was completely blown away and it definitely had that that feeling that i loved that beach boys feeling but a little darker you know not quite as sugary and uh amazing yeah, one of the nicest things you ever said to me was that one of the songs that we recorded together sounded like The Shins. Do you remember? Oh, yes. Do you remember yes. telling me that? I do remember, yes. Um, the other thing, I'll, my other relationship with the Beach Boys is Danny and I, a friend of mine, a musician, we used to busk. We used to play on the street uh, a couple years ago. We would go down to Pike Place Market and play music for the people. <laughs> and we had licenses to... To, to busk on the street in that area and we used to play a medley of surfing usa and fun 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 which i never wanted to play because it was so hard to play and harmonize and sing all the parts and it's and it switches from you know and she'll have fun 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 like you really to, to sing <laughs> that high in, in falsetto while you're standing in front of the very first Starbucks ever because, you know, down there in Pike Places. And there's this huge line of people. It's, it's hard to pull that off. But and anyway, you're playing an yeah, instrument. Yeah, right. And you're trying to project with no microphones, blah, blah, blah. Wow. My other favorite songs are Don't Worry Baby. I love oh, yes. that song. And Surfer Girl is great. In My Room is great. I Get Around is pretty good what's was in my room in my room in my room it's like um the bangles actually did a cover of it i believe it oh. actually reminds me of um there is a place oh, okay. it has a similar lyric anyway i wonder if, if weezer's in my garage was sort of like yeah maybe know, paying an homage to that. and then of course little honda they have a song called little oh. honda <laughs> that's awesome uh wouldn't it be nice and good oh, vibrations? Yes. Oh. Uh, but although Kokomo is one of the worst songs ever recorded, <laughs> and that like almost Kokomo. that almost counteracts all the good that Beach no. Boys has ever done. But I will say that it was not written by Brian Wilson. It was written by Mike Love and some other people. Aruba, Jamaica. Stop it. Ooh. Stop it. I like um, Kokomo. <laughs> oh, God. Do you do? You actually like that song. I, I, I mean, I will... 
I will agree that when I listen to it now, I'm like, uh, okay. But when I was a kid, I mean, remember, I was younger than you. And so to me, it sounded like a cute little song. You know? Yeah, I mean, right. This song came out when you were probably like 15, which, or 14 no, or something. I was so. younger. Yeah. I was. You were? It was like 88, right? Okay. How old were you in 88? Uh, I was 13, maybe. Yeah. Okay. I said, you know, yeah. 14. Yeah, 88. You're right. I guess you're right. Yeah. Um, but for me, I was 17 and it yeah. was like, I was way beyond that kind of top 40 by that nine point. inch nails at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I will say that although there's a handful of, so I'm not a huge, um, pet sounds fan and I know that's sacrilegious, but, but I'm just not, I, everyone's like, Oh, pet sounds, pet sounds this. It's like something that. I find a lot of hipsters will, you know, <laughs> talk about. But to me, it's like, have you listened to Pet Sounds recently? Because yes. Because it is a mess of an album, in my no. opinion. It it, no. it it has got some cheesy, silly, unlistenable music on it, in my opinion. Oh, sacrilege. No, first of all, I was not a hipster, so I did not have that because so I was So you listen to... All those other songs on Pet Sounds and go like, yeah, I like this song. Well, not only that, that was my only Beach Boys album. <laughs> oh, so it was the definitive. Beach well, it's, Boys it's formative for you, I guess. Formative, but yeah. but anyway, uh, that relates to most of the Beach Boys for me, which is that I just listed what like ten songs. That's yeah. out of hundreds. They they released in some years two albums a year, so. Yeah. Uh, most of the Beach Boys catalog is unforget is forgettable or just cheesy, and yeah, so I feel like Brian Wilson and the gang would hit it on the mark with songs like "God Only Knows" or "Surfer Girl" or or even "Barbara Ann." These kinds of songs, and then bom, this, bom, bom. and then there's this eighty percent catalog where I just can't even. I mean, I'm not going to turn it off per se, but it's not going to be a choice of mine that to is listen fair. to. That's fair. Okay, next question. What's the closest either of you came to a physical altercation <laughs> in the last 20 years, and what went down, Berto? Oh, man, I, I had the incident, uh, was it two years ago or something? I was at a concert at the... Oh, yeah, Depeche Mode. Well, no. well, yeah, Depeche Mode, yes, yeah, yeah. right? yeah, yeah. You talked about it on the mode. podcast, how yeah. with you wasn't that a key arena? I think it was a key arena. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like sitting there, and I was filming part of it, and it was the light from my phone was annoying the dude behind me, uh, which is fine. Now, granted, everyone is doing this, but fine if if you're annoyed and you want to. Wait, tell did me you about have the it. light on on your? No, no. Yeah. It's just it's the just light the, from the screen. The screen, yeah. Okay. And 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 I get like, look, I get it. If you want to ask me to like. Do something about that, right? Yeah. But the guy, passive aggressively, aggressively, grabs his own phone, puts it in f like he's standing behind. He's behind me. puts reaches his arm across, turns his flashlight on his phone on, and shines it in my face. And like when this happens, it takes my brain a couple seconds to even realize that something's happening, because I'm like, it's so weird. And and then the only thing that my head could could think about was oh my gosh uh someone i know must be behind me and so i'm like oh, all right well 
great. I wonder who it is. And so I, I actually smiled. I, I like laughed. I'm like, ha ha. And I, and I turn around and I look and it's no one I know, but I'm like, uh, what's, what's going on? And then the guy, I think the guy says something like, turn off your cell phone or, or, or something like this. And I'm like, wait, did you just shine your light on my face? And this is like in the middle of the concert. Um, and anyways, I was super upset and I turned back around and I kept filming, of course, because like, what the hell this now I'm pissed at you and I'm not going to do what you want. And you screwed up because if you had asked me nicely, maybe I would have done something different. Instead, I just kept filming like everyone else. And it wasn't even the whole concert. It's just bits of songs and stuff. Um, I, I never film a whole song, by the way, because I like to enjoy the songs. I just film like little bits. Okay, at the end of the concert, and I waited because I didn't want to get kicked out. I was enjoying the concert too much. At the end of the concert, when the concert ended, and I realized this is not smart. I don't, I don't know, but it's just like I was so upset. So at the end of the concert, when the lights came on, I turn around and I look at this guy dead in the eyes. And I'm like, like some, I say something like, okay, what? Or something. Now, the guy, or it's like, I, the guy goes, looks at me and says, oh, it wasn't me. And I realized that I'm looking at the wrong dude because <laughs> it was actually the guy next to him. So I'm like, oh, sorry. So I look at the other dude. I'm like, what? What is your problem? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you size up these guys and think you could take them if you... Well, I mean, in the sense that if I turn around and I see a six foot five linebacker, I'm probably going to be like, oh, damn it, you know, but uh, these guys were my size. And now granted, you don't know, he, he could have a gun, a knife, or he could be a master, whatever, who, who knows, right? But I was so upset, I wasn't thinking clearly. And I just, just got in the guy's face like, what? And uh, the guy goes like, well, you were blah, 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 your phone. I'm like, dude, everyone was doing this. Da, 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 da. Anyways, he wasn't backing down. I wasn't backing down. And then uh, my, my friend that was with me was trying to calm me down and get me out of there. But, and that was working, actually, until uh, he was with like a girlfriend or a wife or who knows. She started insulting my friend. <laughs> Or like like saying aggressive things. So then my friends started getting in on it. So then it was a mess. Um, finally, oh, and then and then by the way, the, the his girlfriend or wife or whatever said like, oh, you you don't you kind of whispering to me or kind of say like, you, you don't want to mess with him, don't mess with him or something, which kind of like did freak me out a little bit because you know that well, wait, like, what, what do you think that meant? <laughs> like he's got a gun or he's crazy or I don't know, like wow. maybe he's abusive. Or, well, actually, think about it. What kind of person yeah. does that? Shines a, a light in someone's face like that. Yeah. Like there's a little bit. Anyways, it didn't amount to anything. We both went our ways, but it got close. I was I was very close to doing something even stupider. Uh anyways, so Yeah, I forgot about that story with you. So, for me, uh, I don't see any point in fighting. I don't think Berto does either in no. general. But I definitely have the impulse at times. And when I think about in the last 20 years, and I was thinking of, and I asked Stacy, I was like, can, do you remember me in the past 20 years getting in any kind of altercation or fight? And she's like, no, you don't do that kind of thing. And I thought, huh, I guess I don't. But most of my fighting, I would have 
probably done when I was much younger in high school and college, this kind of thing. But even then, I think I always just thought, well, what's the logic behind that? Let's say you do win the fight. Well, then what? And let's say even in winning the fight, you break your nose or (laughs) you lacerate your eye or you go to prison or you accidentally cause brain damage to someone. I, I, I always just thought like, what's the logic? It doesn't, you know, there's, there's almost never a time when taking that risk is worth it. Uh, now I will say, like I said, I've frequently had the urge. I mean, there are YouTube commenters that I have literally said to them on YouTube after calling me a cuck or something, um, how about we DM each other our addresses and we'll see who is a effing cuck. You know, like I, I've yeah. said, I've said that, to, <laughs> I've said that to people because I just yes, know that yes. this, this, you know, um, a hole on the internet would not show up in my house and fight me. You know what uh, I mean? Yes. Like you just know that they're just like, oh, okay, fine. I'm, not, you know, because it's like, but they just love calling people yeah. cucks. You know? Yes. Yes. Anyway, so. So I had to go back pretty far, and I think it's about 20 years ago. I was in Wallingford at a bar, and it's not there anymore, but I was playing pool with all my friends. And and there was a time in my life when every Thursday, all of my friends, and we're talking like 30 guys and girls, would get together at this bar and drink and play pool and play darts and listen to music and watch TV and all this kind of stuff. And... So I'm, I put, and I'd play, I'd play pool all the time. And so there's this customary thing. You put your quarter down mm. to play pool and it's sort of honor code that. Yeah. Like when an you're, arcade. Yeah. When your when your quarter comes up, then the person that's playing will grab you or you'll be nearby. Yeah. And it was pretty crowded. So it was kind of hard to get a table. And I, I put my quarter down and I uh, waited a long time. And when I finally came back around because I was like, man, this is taking a long time. I noticed that my quarter had been totally skipped. And I talked to the guy and I was like, hey, I, I was next. And he's like, he's like, yeah, yeah, you, you'll be next next time. And I was just like, <laughs> what? A t- and so I go away, but I'm like, okay, fine. And I go away <laughs> and I come back a, a while later and albeit with more beers in my belly. Uh-huh. And I say, so it's my turn, right? No, 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 it's not your turn. I'm like, I'm, okay, I'm next. The, the next game, it's my turn, right? I've been waiting for a long time. And he's like, he's like, yeah, whatever. So, okay. So I walk away and I go back again and I, like a while later, and I uh-huh. see them playing through another game. I'm like, it's my turn. This time, the guy explodes. Oh my God. He is, he, he's big too. He's bigger than yeah. I am. And I'm not small. And he is in my ear screaming for the entire bar and this is a this is a big bar you know he's screaming in my ear obscenities i'm gonna kill you get away from me like he's not making any sense yeah he's not making any sense right oh my god is he drunk like obviously drunk or no not really and and his friends aren't doing anything his friends are just sort of passively agreeing with him or something yeah and I am so angry. I go over to, and I'm, I'm like, he just messed with the wrong guy because 30 of my friends are here. Yeah. yeah. And half of them love fighting. Yeah. <laughs> so I go over to my friends and I'm like, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to start something. 
and then let's all jump this guy oh my and God. and let's drag him outside <laughs> and let's pound the crap out of it. i mean he deserves it if he if he takes a swing at me that's probably what i said it's yeah. like if he takes a yeah. swing at any of us because he can say words but if he takes a swing he's going down hard and so oh i go my and my friends are like yeah 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 we got it and i go back to him and i can't remember what happened another friend of mine who's like really into taekwondo or not taekwondo but the the um bruce lee style there's a jukundo yeah he was really into that style and and so he went over there and he was trying to provoke him but the guy would never throw a punch he was he was just a lot of words and then we just never we just never never. i don't know what happened (laughs) i think we just got distracted but like i was very close and that would have been quite something because in my head i was like this is going to be a group on group fight that is yeah that's not going to be pretty it's not yeah. just like two guys Ooh. you know <laughs> wrestling on the ground this is like people kicking each other on the ground right. it, it, it would have been ugly but and really thank god nothing happened i sometimes think about that about how angry i was and how bad it could have been sure if i would have followed through with what i you wanted know, to do Part of the part of the thing that happened to me it was like when I was a kid, I, I started taking taekwondo when I was nine, I think. And the place I went to, I, you could never get away with this here in the states, let alone today, uh, because we trained in the park, uh, barefoot, like we would run on the concrete, all these things, do push-ups on concrete. There were no pads at all, no head pads, no body pads, no gloves, nothing. So the rules when we sparred were. You couldn't kick the balls or punch the balls. That was the only thing. You couldn't kick the balls, right? Uh, but you could punch full body. You couldn't punch the face, but you could kick the face, which is insane because you can kill someone with a kick. All right. So, dude, I got hit and, and would hit because like, we would spar even as little kids. And I did it all the way till I was 15. So we would spar. And as I got older, it, it was hard. And, and it was a two-hour session on Saturdays, two hours on Sundays. So I would get punched, like, you know, wind knocked out. I got kicked multiple times hard in the head. That's probably why I'm a little crazy. Um, And so I knew what it was like. Like I knew, and that was with rules, right? That was with, you know, a sensei and stuff. And yet I knew, like, I knew the pain of, like, getting hit. (laughs) So uh, I think that that was part of the reason why uh, there were a few times I remember one, one kid came at me. I was, I think I was 15. And I was bigger than him. I don't even know. But he just started kicking at me. And I, all I did, I was, just, I was just blocking his kicks. Like, it wasn't hurting me. But he was so angry. And I, I, I didn't hit back because I, I, I just like, this is ridiculous, right? But I remember my buddy, the, Juan Miguel, being like, why? What the hell? Why didn't you kick his head or whatever? And I didn't have a good answer. But I know now what my answer was, which is like, I knew what, what a kick to the head does. And I wasn't about to kick this dude who was smaller than me in the head. Uh, and then I, as I got a little older and I moved to this country, I, well, I, I luckily was never in, in too many situations that would have required. But the couple times that I, that I was, I think it was, it was sort of just lucky because honestly, anything, like you said, anything can go really south in a fight, in a real actual fight. So there was one time where there was a dude jumping on cars and I came out, I was at a, a dance and I came out and I confronted the dude. And I was lucky because I think he saw like one of the professors or something. So like it de-escalated. And then there was another time where like there were things like that basically where it almost came to blows. 
but but you know, luckily it. And then the only times I actually got in fights, it was with someone that was like a friend. So it was more of a wrestling kind of like there was never it was never a to the death kind of thing. Um, so, anyways, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I can kind of relate to that. When I was in, I think, like the third grade, I got into a fight with my best friend. Okay. And I have, and I remember at the time thinking, how did we get, it was like a feud, an ongoing uh-huh. feud. And our friend group was split down the middle. So I took a couple guys and he took a couple guys. And we would confront each other on the playground on the way home. And I remember the time thinking, how did we get here? We were best friends last week, and now we have this yeah. huge feud going on. And I, we were getting in each other's faces, and th- our, our respective friends were supporting us, behind us. And at no point in my head did I think this was going to come to blows. I was just thinking, right. we're just yelling at each other, or I don't know. Because my family, there's no violence. It's not like we were violent with each other. And so I don't think it was really in my repertoire of options. Well, he just clocked me in, in, <laughs> in the face. Like, I remember like right <laughs> below the eye as hard as he could. And I didn't know it was coming and I fell down on my ass. Yeah. And I remember the most intense pain. And I remember thinking it, it wasn't just like the impact. It was my whole head was like on, yeah. on fire. <laughs> And it was all encompassing this yeah. red hot pain. And I started crying because I'm in the third grade and I walk home. And I remember after that thinking like, because up until that point, I'd watched countless movies and TV shows where guys get punched in the face. Mm-hmm. And they just seem to jump right back up and they right. start fighting somewhere. And I thought, all that is BS, man. When you get punched, it hurts. That <laughs> And and I don't even think I was hit that hard, right. but it hurt so badly. And I, so maybe that contributed to my pacifism moving forward as well. You, you remember the, I think it's a Mike Tyson quote, everyone's got a plan till they get punched in the face. Right. <laughs> it's true, man. Now, uh, so when I did ask Stacy, I was like, so when was the last time you saw me almost get an altercation? She's like, well... You don't really do that. She says, if anyone does that, that's me. And I was like, well, what do you mean? She's like, well, we were downtown Seattle this one time walking across the street, and this tow truck driver nearly ran us over, turning. Uh, We had the right of way on on the crosswalk, and he almost clipped us. And this is a tow truck, right, with pretty good visibility, and it's a company tow truck. It's not just, Mm. it has the company splashed all over it. And uh, no joke, millimeters from hitting Jeez. us. And she was got she got real upset and started getting aggressive with him. And I and she said that I told her to calm down <laughs> because <laughs> we don't know what kind of guy this is. We don't know what's again. We don't know if he has a gun. Yeah. yeah. What are we going to do? Fight him like that? What what good <laughs> is that going to do? Um. So there's that story. Jeez, man. So, um, like, th- that's that's one thing that I always, <laughs> I always fear is if I'm with someone who has no control, and then you you just gotta back them up. You know, <laughs> I don't fear it anymore. But when I was young, I remember in college, uh, I had a. In fact, you know who this person is. <laughs> He's a smaller dude, but he <laughs> has a huge attitude. Yeah, and I just remember 
often when I, whenever we were at, at a like a, at a party or a thing and or a bar or whatever, just like oh, I just hope, I just hope he doesn't do something because then I'm gonna have to get involved. <laughs> Uh, so I'm such a pacifist that this other story is coming to mind in terms of my passivity. And I want to point out that for a majority of my life, I was a good foot taller than everyone around me. Actually, two stories come to mind. I, you know, I was that big galoot who was the nice guy, right? It's right. like when you're big, you, you don't have to be tough because right. people just don't want to fight you because you're big. People caught up to me in terms of, body size eventually but when i was young i was i was gargantuan compared to other people and in the locker room so this would have been seventh eighth grade this guy started calling me like racist names oh, you know geez. like you're you're a chink like honky white dude <laughs> yeah chinaman whatever and he's really trying to provoke me <laughs> and i'm so big i'm like um Hey, dude, you probably should stop that. <laughs> and that didn't work. And he just kept at it. He, oh just, he just kept at it. He just kept at it. And then I just, I just thought, you know, I think he wants me to pound him. Like, I think that's, is that what he wants? Because mm. I don't want to pound him. But if he wants me to pound him, then I'll, I'll pound him. <laughs> so I pounded him. <laughs> and he stopped. And, and then that was that. But I just remember that feeling of like, <laughs> is is it is 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 he asking me to pound him? Is that what this is? Because it doesn't make any sense, you know. Um, the other story that comes to mind is I was at a party with my friends, you know, Chris Glover and yeah. th those guys, and we were at a party. This would have been about twenty years ago, and this is a party where we didn't know people, so. Normally, we'd hang out with our bigger group of people. You know, it's like fifty people that we know and. It would right. be a party at, at, you know, Buck's house and a party at Stan's house and a party. You know, there's always these kinds of... But this party was, like, people we didn't know. And there was just about, you know, five to ten of us there. But it was mm -hmm. a huge house party, you know, the kind that kegs and spills out onto the front lawn and that kind of thing. And I'm at the party and I... There's this huge crowd of people in the front yard. And I see people going kind of looking like there's a fight going on there's a circle building and i'm like oh that's interesting I, there looks like a fight go is going on over there let's go check it out and i walk over and i get to the circle where i can see in and it's chris glover my friend on the ground <laughs> with some random guy and they're they're just going at it and i'm like oh what's going on here and they're fighting one-on-one, -on -one, and so I'm, I'm thinking, well, they must have done something to each other, so I'm just yeah. going to let this happen. And then the fight kind of evolves around to the side of the house, and so I kind of go over there, and now other guys, his, the other guy's friends, are, are ganging up on Glover. Oh, boy. And one guy even picks up a chair and is about to hit Glover over the head yeah. with it. And I go over there, and I'm like, no, 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 one-on-one, one-on-one, and, and I'm pushing back. And I'm grabbing the chair, and I'm like, no, no, that's unfair. One-on-one, -on -one, yeah. guys. One on, let them fight it. It's one-on-one. -on -one. And these other guys are throwing cheap <laughs> shots, and they're, they're, they're doing all this stuff. And now the fight is starting to evolve into, into oh, more chaos. And, and I'm just like Mr. Pacifist. Just like, <laughs> Glover must have done something wrong, or I don't know. But these guys obviously have a grievance. Let them fight it out. 
And then all of a sudden, this guy pulls out a gun. <gasps> what the? Yeah. Pulls out a gun and says, who wants to die? You want to die? Shut the f- And so, again, being the pacifist, I just walked up to him with my hands out. and just like, hey, dude, no one wants to die. Don't worry about it. Just calm down. Put the gun away. Everything's fine. Wait, 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 wait. This is real? Yeah, yeah. So, so then um, I look behind me. So remember, there's a throng of people Jeez. fighting chaos is occurring. Chairs are flying. There's, there's just, the guy pulls out the gun. Who wants to die? I walk up to him. Not too close, but I'm like, no one wants to die. Don't worry about it. Take it easy. I turn around to kind of glance around me. It's empty. I'm all alone with me and the, <gasps> and, and the gun guy. <gasps> Because oh as soon as people saw a gun, everyone scattered, of right? Course. And so <laughs> I'm just standing there by myself going, oh, oh, my God. Why didn't I run like everyone else? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's so freaky. He dude. put the gun away and he walked yeah. in. He, he didn't seem happy. But then he left the party. And then there was rumors that he was in a gang and he was getting more of his gang members. And so everyone split at that point. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, my God. All right. Next question, Berto, from famous patron Lennon. He says, what's a ridiculously expensive thing Berto would like to buy, but cannot justify it to himself? Oh, my God. I like how this question is is geared towards you and not me. (laughs) Such a great question. Okay, okay, okay. I'll indulge. First of all, there is a microphone that I would love to get. It is made by uh, this company, this UK company called Chandler. And they basically recreated the Beatles EMI console preamp. And they put that preamp circuitry into the microphone. And then the microphone itself is a full valve microphone. Very close recreation to like, you know, sort of like a U47 or something they would have been using in the studio anyways. And the whole thing is like five grand. And apparently it sounds glorious. But I already have a mic. And don't you have a Beatles emulate like a like it's it's another U forty seven actually it's more it's got capsules you could do U sixty seven U forty seven like these are Neumann mic emulations uh, but they're really amazing we used it to record our album and I, it's 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 great I already have a microphone but I, every time I see the brochure or like the pictures online I'm like oh so sexy I gotta get this <laughs> but I, I haven't been able to justify it. <laughs> While we're on the topic, I mean, this is a random episode, so if you're listening, you know, what's wrong with you, I guess. But um, if I <laughs> go off script, it won't matter. So the microphone I have right now, my Audio-Technica 4040, is it? 4020? I can't remember the exact model. Actually, I should probably, I should probably look at it. Uh, 4033, 4033A. Um, there's probably a lot of noise there as I was looking at my <laughs> model number. But... The uh, microphone that I have here, I so previous to getting this microphone 20 years ago, I was using just microphones that... So I would always have band practice at my house, and people would bring over gear, and people would leave gear on accident, and then I would forget whose gear it was. And so that's how I got microphones. I got a, an SM... What's the the more slender uh, Sure microphone? SM57? 57. Yeah. That I would use for a lot of things. 
I think I used it for everything and it was mm-hmm. real beat up. I mean, the, <laughs> the, you know, the mesh, the wire mesh was completely like busted in. And, <laughs> and so I would, I would just use microphones cause I could never afford even a hundred dollar microphone. Uh, and then I decided, you know what? I have a little bit of money. I'm a therapist now. I've paid off all my debts, my school debts and everything. And I want to buy a good preamp and I want to buy a good microphone. And I went to Guitar Center, and the guy helping me is like, "Well, what do you, what do you, what kind of sound are you looking for?" And I was like, "Well, Elliot Smith." And he's like, "Well, nice." He's like, "Well, that's not going to work." But a really good microphone <laughs> <laughs> is this Audio Technica, you know, forty thirty three because it's it's a great microphone and it's pretty cheap. I think it's I don't know in the three hundred dollar range, something like that. And so I pretty much just bought it based on that, nice. that recommendation. Because, again, there's no YouTube to guide you or anything. Right. And I used it and liked it for many years. And then when I started the podcast, actually, this is the mic that I would use to record us, all of us. There was a, you right. know, the, the beginning of our crappy <laughs> podcast. I would just plop <laughs> one microphone in a room yeah. and all of us would talk around and it was this microphone. So I use this microphone for guitar and bass and drums and I mean, our, my first Bread Knife Incident album, I used this microphone to record the entire drum set. Nice. Um, so I've used it, and then the podcasting and blah, blah, blah. And then a few years ago, I was like, well, you know, I've been doing this podcast thing. Patreon is going okay. How about I actually buy a good microphone? This microphone I bought how long ago? And I started looking around at all these different microphones, and I found... And I actually did buy some other microphones, and I still find that this Audio-Technica 4033A Mm -hmm. is better than any, including the microphone you're using, which is the standard radio podcast. Yeah, Yeah, it, you know, that's a, that's what, a $400? It's a Shure SM7B. Um, Yeah, maybe. Something like that. Yeah. And it's, it's, it look, the thing is, is that microphone is easier to talk into because it's, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's just easier to talk into than sure. these, uh, side, uh, yeah. I don't know what you call it, side microphones. Yeah. And, um, so I just think that it's interesting that I just randomly bought the, a really great, mic- yeah, <laughs> a really, really great microphone yeah. that, that I, that I, I just love and, yeah. Even though I've bought other microphones. So I bet you anything, your stupid Beatles thing would would not be any better. That's good. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. <laughs> but so uh, that's what you would, that's the thing you would buy. Well, that's one of my many desires that I won't indulge. <laughs> Next question. If Patreon membership increases tenfold, what are some things you might do with the podcast, Birdo? We're going to Disneyland. <laughs> oh, really? You'd like to go on trips and stuff? Um, I do think an on-location thing somewhere cool would be neat. Okay. Um, but honestly, I mean, you, you kind of said this from the beginning, which is the more that this generates income, the more we can do more and greater content and, and greater quality content, yeah. which is great. Yeah. It just means that we can take time away from our jobs Yeah. so that, you know, because we got to pay our bills and if... If Patreon pays Absolutely. our bills, then we don't have to waste time earning money in other endeavors. I get paid by the stars, so that's you know that many less fewer stars that I have to name. So, so what I would do if we had a tenfold increase in Patreon membership, and it's a great question, is I would offer 
to make Birdo and Stacy full-time podcasting people. Woo! And I might actually, I might actually quit the job at the university. I, I that's a hard thing to say, but if I was earning that much money, <laughs> um, <laughs> I I wonder if I would do that. I don't yeah. know. Uh, maybe I'd stay on as like an adjunct or something because I really love to teach, but I, I don't be like a full-time janitor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I would, I guess as an option, I would consider making the three of us full-time. That's all we do aside from our hobbies. Right. And, you know, we spend 40 hours a week at least on the podcast collectively. Wait a minute. Would that mean I would have to leave the same job I've been in for all these years? Yeah. I mean, oh you've God. had you've had wonderful longevity and wonderful. I mean, so they, many stars. They'd probably give you some kind of plaque at the end for the. Oh, I would love it. The longest standing <laughs> pod or a, a star dude. Stargazer. I'd probably also hire more people to do some of the mundane things. I know I've said this before, but I if I if if it's not apparent, and Birdo this Birdo doesn't know about this either, really, or maybe he does now that he's starting his own YouTube channel. There are so many mundane things about podcasting and content provision. It, you know, for those of you, and I guess I used to think this before, it's just like, well, you know, you just turn on the cameras and you just do stuff, right? And you, you know, but there are so many things to do, these little tedious tasks that you have to do that I'd, I'm not even going to get into all the tasks. And it, and it takes away from the fun, you know? I mean, I, I, I talked about this in another episode recently, I think, where uh, you remember in the beginning, Berto, when we started this podcast, I just wanted to make content and have it go on an RSS feed. So it's on you know, the podcast apps. And I didn't want to have a website. I didn't want to do Facebook. I didn't want to do uh, YouTube. Right. I just wanted it to that because I didn't want to do all it just seemed like a hassle. Well, over the years, we keep adding all these things because you're supposed to, and there is some utility to it, and it is kind of fun, but it just adds so many different... I mean, think about all the different ways people can contact me. They can contact me by emailing me directly because some people have my email. They can email me through the podcast or the website. They can contact me on Patreon. They can contact me on YouTube. They can contact me on Facebook. They can contact me on Instagram. They can contact me on my professional Facebook page. And that's not all the ways people can contact me. And because I'm so, I don't know, I don't want to leave anyone hanging. Every day, I try to monitor all of these venues, you know. And anyway, so I would try to hire someone who could monitor all those venues and all those other things. It's not like Joe Rogan doesn't do all these little things. Exactly. <laughs> Joe Rogan, Adam, Adam, uh, uh, Adam Corolla. Yeah. These people have teams of people, and they get to just show up and yammer into a microphone, and and the rest of the people take care of everything else. I would just, right. I would really like that. What um, if we hired people to actually do the podcasts, and then we just like relax <laughs> on the beach? <laughs> I feel like that's what Ira Glass did, you know. So he, you know, he started This American Life. Oh, right. And lately, This American Life has not been as good as it used to be in my mind because he stepped back from content providing. I think he's like over it or something. I don't know if that's the case. But anyway, the other thing I have... Go ahead. Sorry, is it similar to like when you 
do like maybe the first episode of a of a series of a famous beloved movie and then you step back so someone else takes the reins for the next movie and and then people get angry so you have to come <laughs> yeah. back to try to fix the mess but yeah, it's exactly. already a mess. <laughs> the other thing i thought of was to get your your youtube channel going with that extra money and time you could right. really you could get your own right. psycho birdo youtube channel going Psycho Berto, kiss kiss Care to plug it at Ooh. all? Yeah, I could even get the rights for that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I um a year ago I started a channel, a YouTube channel called Psycho Berto. And I did a few videos. I, I did six videos, I think, and then I stopped because life got in the way. Um but I resumed and now I have like a whole setup. I have like professional mics just like we were talking about and lights and things. Um, and so I, I've been I've been doing new videos. Uh, what I started doing recently were, were midnight live streams of uh, different things that that I, that have been happening, like current events or things. Uh, like I did one on the launch of uh, SpaceX, which I thought was amazing. And I, I did one, like I said, about the the, the riots and the protests. But uh, I'm I'm looking to grow the channel. I'm going to be essentially providing. More of like the Berto layperson commentary on things. And especially during this time where, you know, Kirk and I can't get together all the time in person. Well, we can't get together in person right now. Uh, but it is a good way for me to, you know, put, put content out there. So it's Psycho Berto YouTube. Subscribe. Hit the like button. Do all the things they tell you to do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited for Berto. He as a if you're a fan, you know that he has a lot of things to say and I'm excited to see where he goes with his YouTube channel. That's right. Um the other thing that I would do is I would want to do more deep dives. I I've said this before but it bears repeating that I have a long list of deep dives that I want to do and and I'm it's continually being right. continually being added to. And I'm 49 years old. And I've projected, projected, and I have enough deep dive history to know how long it takes to do a deep dive. Like my mm. attachment deep dive, it took me like six months to do. So I think about how many deep dives I have left in my life. <laughs> and I probably have probably 30 more deep dives before I'm dead. Wow. My list is like 150 topics <laughs> that I want to do deep dives on. So if we had, uh, if I could maybe cut back on my hours in other areas, presumably I'd be able to increase that yeah. to 40 deep dives before I die. Yeah. I would also like to uh, react. I, w- I want to do reaction videos on every instance of therapy in movies and television shows. <laughs> you know, I, because there's so many examples that I've yeah. seen and reacted to in the moment, yeah. but didn't have the opportunity to rant into a microphone. So I would love to do that. And I want to do more scholarships. Uh, if, if we had tenfold increase in Patreon membership, I would be offering thousands of dollars a month in scholarships because I think that it's a wonderful way to make a difference in the world by helping a person make a difference in the world. Totally. Uh, maybe even just giving someone a full ride, like you know, if you, you're, you're thinking about going, but you're like, well, I can't really go into debt anymore. I can't, well, scholarship, boom. Now your life is set and you're going to make a wonderful difference in the world. By the way, we, we have yet another scholarship coming up. Woo. Uh, 
I think it's going to be $2,000 if I remember right. And look to our website to apply. It's going to be $2,000 to, uh, we prefer graduate students, doctoral students in some kind of helping profession. Mental health is, you know, likely the candidate. Someone who has made a difference in the world already, who plans on making a difference in the world, and, and has a need for the money. And we've given out, I think, almost $10,000 already in scholarships, and so we're going to give out more. And we're also, I th- believe, I have to look at the exact thing, but I think we're going to give out an, a, a $1,000 art prize award uh, to a contest coming up. So look for oh, de- wow. look for details on that. Uh, next question from famous patron Lyndon. Are there any future plans for a public event, Berto? Do you know? <laughs> future plans for a public event? Uh, well, <laughs> first of all, we're going to gather as many people as we can in one tight, small room with poor ventilation. Um, I don't know. Last year we did our uh, marathon live stream this year will be interesting if we do our 12 year is this 12 years yep 12 hours yep um yeah what so if all your what if all your new youtube listeners tuned in to our live stream <laughs> yeah so we're gonna do a a 12 hour live stream in august yeah i can't remember the exact date but look for announcements on that so that'll be kind of a public event, right? Right. Um, yeah, so we had... So Colin Miller, who's been on the podcast to talk about movies and whatnot, he proposed this idea of doing monthly live shows in Seattle, and he was volunteering to be in charge of it. He would fly up from Texas and maybe eventually move to Seattle. And every month there would be a, a live show where Colin would be in charge. Berto and I would uh, be participants in Colin's live show. And uh, we had all these talks and all these aspirations. And our first show was going to be in like, I think March or April. And then the pandemic hit and then everything fell apart. So, you know, maybe at some later date, we'll start doing that. Yeah. I will say the, uh, oh, you know what we should do for the live stream? is get a couple of uh, guests popping in, and one of them's like Ed, <laughs> and one of them's like Rose, and we have them fight on air. <laughs> uh, next question from Famous Patron Lennon. Any new gripes of wrath, Berto? Oh, gripes of wrath. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. So this is the thing. The um, people, I think, forget that just because we are, you know, it, the, the weather's getting warmer... And, uh, you know, it seems like maybe the, the virus is, is calming down slightly, although it's, it's kind of unclear. But anyway, so uh, I go to, uh, I had to go to the doctor, which was scary enough. You know me, I'm a hypochondriac, right? And I'm a germaphobe. So can you imagine me like, oh gosh, I got to wear like a mask and gloves. And, and, and it was pretty freaky. I was... It was the first time I'd been out of my house to go somewhere in months. I get in the car and I'm just thinking, oh gosh, what if I have to like stop at a gas station? What if, what if someone, you know, like what if I crash into someone and like just freaking, but I'm taking precautions, wearing my mask, all these things. Okay. 
So on the way back from the doctor, I have to stop at the drugstore to get the prescription. Go in, I'm still wearing my mask. And I see other people in there, they're wearing masks, great. But then I see a couple, not only are they not wearing masks, they're going through and they're just like touching everything and they're just like, it's, it's as if there is no concern for anything uh, related to, you know, trans, transmissible diseases, right? And so, of course, I avoid that, that aisle. I go in a different aisle. Uh, but then when it comes time to pay, I'm like, oh, gosh, they're in line. So I'm going to be within their, like, airspace. And, and I'm thinking, ah, this sucks. I hope they don't, like, turn around to talk to me or something. Like, what am I going to do? But they're just like busy with each other, talking, saying this, that, the other thing. Their hands are on everything. They're not wearing gloves. I am freaking out. So I'm like, please, if, if for no other reason than that there are hypochondriacs among us, can you please wear a mask or something? Um, or just stay, stay further away from me. Especially, oh, the other thing is, especially at a drugstore. Because who goes to a drugstore? People that have like some sick thing. Yeah. They're sick. Yeah. I have avoided all of that sort of business uh, as of this date recording. So I can't imagine <laughs> ha- even just going into a drugstore period, let alone that kind of situation. Yeah. That, that's a very timely gripe of wrath. Yeah. 20 years from now, when people listen to this episode, they'll be like, what are they <laughs> what? talking about? Dude, calm down, dude. <laughs> so for me, I was thinking famous patron Lyndon about gripes and in a strange situation, I don't really have many gripes. And I was thinking, why? Well, it's because I haven't left the house. <laughs> and no one's bothered me. Because <laughs> usually it's, some, it's someone. someone that bugs me. That's and funny. so I don't have a gripe or wrath, but I dug deep and I do have one. And I was, I was going pretty ballistic over this. I asked uh, Stacy at the store to get me Flonase because I have... I have uh, allergies, and Flonase is a, a spray you put into your nose that inhibits the, I think, the histamine response or something. I don't know what it does, but it's supposed to cut back on my allergies. And so think about the Flonase uh, product. It's, it's like the size of a really small old cell phone, you know, like, like a matchbox car. It's a, it's a little bigger than that. Well, I get the package, and it's on it's sort of situated in a way where I look at the packaging and I'm like, oh, Stacy must have bought me a two-pack, you hmm. know, because it looks like, or maybe even a three-pack. And I'm like, okay, that's smart that she got me, I guess, a bunch just to stock up. And I turn it over and it's just one. What? And I look at the pack and I turn it back. I go, wait, I turn it back over and I turn it back over and I keep flipping. I'm like, so... Wait, this whole packaging is essentially three to four times bigger than it needs to be. And it's that hard plastic that, you know, stacks oh my God. stacks well on the shelf, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And I just went through the roof. I'm like, <laughs> it's 2020, and we all understand that it's there's 2020, a... 2020, people! We, no one has not heard, especially p- plastic manufacturers... That there is a giant miles across a a continent in the middle of the Pacific full of American plastic. Unbelievable. Or Pacific Rim plastic. We have a shortage of resources. We have global warming and climate change. 
And Flonase decides that the most logical packaging is this giant plastic contraption when I, I so I and the other thing is is you have to use scissors just to get into the thing. So I'm I'm you know I'm cutting into it and I pull out the flonase. You could have just put the flonase on the package on the shelf. You could just <clears throat> wrap it up in some cellophane or even that kind of cellophane that they just put around the opening so that if yeah. it, get, it breaks the seal and you know it's been opened, just that's all because on the flonase product. Is it says Flonase and it has all the instructions and and I just thought like what world do we live in that people are that stupid just wanton so waste of so many different things because not only that but now you've got to package that in in boxes and it takes up three to three to four times as much space which means it's more trucks and more ships and more fuel and more carbon emissions like. What is the purpose of that? It just it just boggles the mind. Absolutely, man. Like, first of all, do you remember? Uh, do you remember back in the day when you would buy like Microsoft Office or some of these huge software packages back when they came in floppies? And to make you feel better about spending the hundreds of dollars that these things cost, they would have all the books that came with it. So when you would go to buy it at the store, it was these huge boxes. And you would take it home and it was heavy and it was like you'd unwrap package one and it's got like a whole thing of floppy disks. And then it came with these huge manuals. It was the amount, like the number of trees that died to bring you that software. And then I remember, you know, then it started getting ridiculous because instead of floppies, they started putting them on CDs and then, you know, DVDs. And all of a sudden you had like the the industry got into this weird mode. We're like, oh my gosh, how are we going to charge the amount of money we've been charging when the package is like this tiny. <laughs> and then it happened to video games too because they were like, the, remember the big video game boxes and they took up nice amount of shelf space so they had big visuals and stuff. Well, then all of a sudden video games came in tiny little discs and they were like, oh, I guess that's really wasteful. But, uh, you know, so like uh, the big retailers wanted smaller packaging, but the... The publishers wanted the big packaging because they wanted to make a splash. And it was hilarious. So you'd buy these boxes and the box was like this big, huge rectangle. And and you'd open and it was super lightweight and you'd open it and inside was the tiniest little disc yeah. with no manual anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is where government comes in. <clears throat> this is where government comes in and says, you can't do that anymore. Because if you let the businesses do it, then they're just going to continue doing right. it. And they have to do it because their competitors do it. So if everyone can't do it, then, you know, anyway. Like CDs were the same thing, remember? Because CDs used to come in the tall uh, containers and then it was was very wasteful. Uh, Final question from famous patron Lyndon. He says, sorry, I have a little scratchy throat. I heard a few episodes recently, uh, some reruns with Mandy in it. And Mandy seems incredibly chill and non-judgmental. Is that a Honda family trait? <laughs> so I thought about this question, and I thought, well, I should just ask Birdo: Is chill and non-judgment uh, a <laughs> Honda family trait? And is Mandy chill and non-judgmental to begin with? <laughs> well, that's a funny one because, I mean, I definitely would characterize Mandy as as fairly chill. She she was she was fun. Uh, I do remember a few episodes where. 
judgmentalness was one of the ingredients in the mix. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, you know, I, I think what Mandy, if anything, there were things that she personally was less comfortable doing or, or saying, but it had less to do with, like, you know, other people. It was more about what she was comfortable with. Um, so, and that's why Mandy and I had a great time on podcasts because, you know, I could say whatever and she would just riff off of it and she would say whatever and I would riff off of it. And I call that pretty chill. Yeah. Well, if I was to say 10 adjectives for Mandy, chill and non-judgmental would not be two, <laughs> of, the, two of those 10. Maybe you and I have, you know, I keep using this word chill. Maybe I do not mean what, what I yeah. think it means. <laughs> like. You and I are not chill, and neither is Mandy. Uh, I don't right, know okay. if a lot of podcasters. What do you mean by chill? Well, chill is like chill? relaxed and mellow and oh, not not excitable. I mean, you, me, oh. and Mandy are very excitable. I would call that the opposite of chill. I find that I think okay. that I think that a lot of people, and and now it's fine. We'll just say chill sort of means like like easy uh, going, but. Okay, easy going, nice. You know, like yeah. M- Mandy's nice, but that's what I meant. That's different than chill. Like chill okay. is like relaxed. <laughs> you, me, and Mandy are not <laughs> relaxed. Okay, because <laughs> there are truly relaxed people that we could identify in our lives that are way more chill and relaxed than us three. And I would say but, that <laughs> good podcasters aren't very chill, honestly. This is true. But I would say that between like between Lita and myself versus Mandy, like Lita and myself, I certainly would not characterize as chill. I would say Mandy is to the, to the right of the spectrum on the chill spectrum. Okay. You know. <laughs> but then I was thinking, okay, she, uh, you know, famous patron asks, is this a Honda family trait? And I would say that... Yeah, I don't know about the chill part of it. I mean, Your maybe dad is me- chill. Yeah, maybe he means chill like easygoing and uh, uh, able to talk about silly things like spanking sure. fetish. Like that's sure. chill. Like you're not uptight. Maybe that's what he means by mm-hmm. And I would say that, yeah, my family is not uptight. There's a lot of right. gross bodily function t- discussions at my family reunions. Um, and there's not a lot of outward judgment uh, from my Honda side, anyway. I would say they're they're pretty easygoing people. So, yeah, maybe. Yeah. But but Mandy is a distant cousin of mine. Actually, she is. Uh, our parents are cousins. So even though she would always say, "Mandy, I'm Kirk's cousin," our parents are cousins. So we're we're really barely related in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? We share. We share a set of great grandparents, right? Like, like we have eight great grandparents, right? We have four set. No, let's see. I have two parents and then four grandparents. So yeah, I have. All of us have eight biological great grandparents, and we share two of those eight. Anyway, I see. Um, so I just wanted to end the episode with some rambly stuff about movies and TV shows that I have seen recently and and rated on IMDb. What do you say, Berto? Awesome. Oh, by the way, I, I just did a live stream two nights ago about the 
I just watched like a thing about trailers of upcoming 2020 movies. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to tune in, but you do it so late. You do it at like you do your I, live streams at like 11:30. It's been on purpose so no one watches it while I tune my my. Craft. Except for me, I'm, I'm watching. <laughs> for, but I'll say I made a mistake because I the volume was like way down on on the on the videos. Oh, so I don't know. I might have to take it down, but whatever. Uh-huh. So, movies I've seen recently. So, yesterday I watched Beasts of No Nation, Beasts of No Nation. Oh, yeah. Have you seen that? No, but I know what it is. I wanted to see it. Man, it is good. I would potentially give it a 9 out of 10, which is a very rare thing for me. It is a drama, fictional story that takes place in Africa of a child who has some atrocities happen in his town and he runs away from home and he joins a a a militia group right with it's like a a bunch of kids he joins with up with a warlord played by um played by uh what's his face um Idris Alba oh okay and it is brutal but mm. it's directed by Kerry Fukunaga a mm-hmm. fellow half Japanese American like myself who has made a lot of really wonderful stuff and uh, highly recommend Beasts of No Nation, but it yeah. is it is grim, but also beautiful and funny and interesting. I've heard only the best. There's, Definitely want to watch it. There's no cheesy moments, and that's something to say, is like to make a, something like this, there's no cheesy moments. I also saw Birds of Prey, which is the the new Harlequin movie that came out? Oh, really? Not this, too how long. is that? It is. It has its moments, but mm-hmm. overall boring mm-hmm. and not very. It, it definitely has a couple moments. There's a a scene w- that involves a breakfast sandwich that is <laughs> that is just great. It's just a really fun a breakfast. Yeah, it's a really fun sequence. Essentially. What happens is she gets this breakfast sandwich and she's like obsessed with it. She really wants it because she gets it every day or something. Uh. And she gets it and then a chase sequence happens where she keeps trying to eat the sandwich and hijinks ensue. (laughs) And so there there are definitely some moments, but I gave it a four out of ten because... Oh, jeez. There was a point in the, the climax of the movie, supposedly when you're supposed to care the most... And Stacy and I and the dog were asleep on the couch <laughs> and woke up and was like, oh, I think it's the end of the movie. It was, it was, just, it was just, like, not interesting, really. I see. And they did, they did what... They dropped the ball. They did the very typical DC thing, which is they tried to make the movie about too many different people. Mm. They did this with Suicide Squad. They, yeah, yeah. they did it with Justice League. They did it. They even did it with Aquaman. Even though that movie is just supposed to be just about Aquaman, they they throw in so many characters, and it's like you don't have any time to write a story. When you have uh, Iron Man, the first movie, there's just Iron Man and one bad guy, and it's a beautiful movie, right? Yeah, yeah. When you have better. Yeah, yeah, when you have Captain America, the first Captain America movie, it's just Captain America and Red Face Guy. Yeah. And and 
There's a reason why you eventually get to a place where you can have an ensemble hero cast, right? It's like what we were talking about the other day with the, uh, episode one, where even, even just at the beginning of there, it's like too many, too many characters to, to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. It's like how many, how many awesome movies can you think of have a wide sort of variety of heroes like there's it's very hard to pull that off it's like super hard like you gotta be samurai a like these kinds of movies you're right um i re-watched django unchained the other night i i was bored and i was like well okay. on netflix i wonder what's happening and it, it popped up and i was like well i'll watch like the first scene because i sometimes i watch little clips uh-huh. on, on youtube you know and i ended up watching the whole oh, movie you're hooked from the beginning, it's so intense, man. It's except for the ending. The ending, I feel like rewatching it again this time. The last half an hour could have been cut completely. So, hmm. so I'll, you'll you every you know Quentin Tarantino is a master at scenes, right? So yeah, y'all know the scene where uh, what's his face, um, Christoph Leo? Waltz, Christoph oh. Waltz comes on the scene at the beginning and the slaves are being carted through the woods at night. So, you know, that scene. And then we know the scene where he goes to the small town and he shoots the sheriff and then they drink the beer and they come out. That's a great scene. And then when the racists with the hoods come after them, that scene. And then with Leo and the Leo bit gets a little slow. There's, there's some scenes in there that could probably be a, a little shorter, but I, I get, I, I get why they want to, you know, fully fledge out this evil guy. And then you have the scene at the dinner, you know, the dinner scene where right. you're like, it's so tense. You, you, you need to get, uh, you want to get uh, Broomhilda out of the house. Right. And you're, and uh, Samuel Jackson is on to them and it's super tense. And then Leo figures it out and he gets super angry and he cuts his hand. And, and you're thinking, here's the, here's the, climax right like this is where it all all the players are in the room leo samuel jackson mm-hmm. christoph waltz jamie fox right. uh the i think is a carrie washington the woman who plays broom hilda everyone's there and then uh it changes because um uh, christoph waltz shoots leo in the heart because leo wants him to shake his hand right and then Christoph Waltz dies, and I I get I kind of get that. It seems like a weird turn of the character to just suicidally kill Leo, but whatever. And then Jamie gets captured at that point. Or no, there's a big shootout, and then Jamie gets captured. Hmm. Then Jamie Foxx is being carted away to be sold again or something. And then this is when the Australian guys show up with the dynamite. Right. And then there's a whole sequence there. And then he goes back to the house. Like, it should have ended with the Leo dying scene. You know what I mean? Interesting. I, I got to watch that again and see. Anyway. I just remember really loving it. I just, yeah. But I, I gave it a 9 out of 10. I think I had it in at 8, but I bumped it up to a 9 because it's just so good. <laughs> Another movie I saw was Anthropoid, 2016. I gave it a 9 out of 10 as well. It is. It has uh, Killian Murphy in it, and it's about a. It's World War II about Operation Anthropoid that happened in 
Czechoslovakia, I believe, about a a real mission that they were trying to kill the Third Reich's uh, third oh. in command. So Whoa. you had Hitler, and you had Himmler, and then you had Heydrich. And okay. I just thought it was a fantastic movie. Very, very good movie. Um, Speaking of, I just saw in one of the previews I was watching, this this movie called Valhalla is coming. Uh-huh. It is uh, like a Norse mythology movie, Ooh. but it's made by some Europe. I, I don't know. If, I don't know if it was Norwegian or who made it, but it looks amazing. It's spoken. It's it's not in English. It's all subtitled. It looks awesome. Like, is it supernatural or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like full on. Like this is Norse mythology. Oh, okay. And but but it, but it taken seriously. Like it it doesn't look cheesy. Awesome. At least from the preview, it looked like we're taking it seriously. <laughs> so like Thor and Odin and yeah, like they they had Fenrir the wolf in it. But but again, it wasn't like oh, and here's Fenrir. No, no, like it was a dark, like moody, European looking movie with not spoken in English, and the effects look totally legit. It's like okay, I'm watching a Shakespeare play of Valhalla or something. <laughs> awesome, that looks good. It looks good. Uh, the half of it, which just came out recently, I, I gave it six out of ten. The half of it. Yeah, it's a it's when a smart but cash strapped teen Ellie Chu agrees to <laughs> agrees to write a love letter for a jock. She doesn't expect to become his friend or fall oh for his crush. So it's sort of a modern take on Cyrano de Bergerac. Okay, okay. And this uh, Asian American girl. She writes uh, love letters for this guy to give to this girl, but the Asian American girl, Ellie Chu, is gay and likes the girl. So, mm. in normal Cerro de Bergerac or Roxanne, you have the ugly guy giving uh, writing advice to the dumb, good looking guy yeah. for the girl. In this instance, you have what she believes to be herself to be a homely Asian American girl giving uh-huh. to a, giving to a guy to give to the girl. Anyway. Yeah. It definitely has its moments. It's kind of a Wes Anderson-y sort of movie. Uh, but, okay. uh, and I definitely liked it, but I wasn't, it wasn't like, it was pretty predictable at times, but so well, I, what'd you give a, it? Gave it six out of 10. It's a good watch. Oh, okay. If you're, if you just want something totally non-threatening without any blowing up bodies like the other movies I've been mentioning. Yeah. And then I rewatched Bridge Over the River Kwai. <gasps> wow, that's a classic. I so, love that movie. Is that the movie that was made just before uh, Lawrence of Arabia? Oh, I, I don't know. Did, Why? Well, because I think, did David Lean make Lawrence of Arabia, the director? Anyway, mm. I think it's a similar... It's a very similar oh, kind of movie, you know? Okay. Um, but, yeah, I... So I'm listening to this podcast called Friendly Fire, and they talk about war movies. Mm. And I remember watching Bridge on the River Kwai when I was a kid and being like, yeah, whatever. Maybe when I was in my 20s, I revisited it and was uh-huh. like, yeah, whatever. But hearing this podcast talk about Bridge on the River Kwai, they were all just... Perfect scores, you know. Yeah, yeah. Couldn't couldn't say anything better, and I was like, "Huh." So I rewatched it, and I think knowing the background of the history of because if you don't really know the context of the movie, it's hard to understand the characters. But once you kind of mm. get that, then I think it 
makes it. A, so I recommend I listening to Friendly Fire podcast on Bridge Over the River Kwai and then watch Bridge on the River Kwai. I wonder, because I really liked it as a kid, but I wonder if I was influenced because, like, I remember my uncles really loved it. And so when I was watching it, it was probably like, oh, this is the greatest movie. So I was probably, like, being absorbing that, like, yeah, this is the greatest movie. But I do remember loving it. I I don't remember much of it because the last time I saw it, I was probably, you know, 12 or something. (laughs) I also watched the miniseries Waco. Oh, yeah. Have you seen it? I uh, I am not done with it, but I've been I've been watching it recently. Yeah, yeah. How do you like it? Uh, so far, I'm really interested in it. I I was very into Waco. I read one of one of the books, maybe two of the books at the time. Um, very into like I was just taken aback by the whole concept of of um, cults. I didn't grow up with that concept in Colombia. Uh, you know, Catholic Church notwithstanding. I like I just didn't have that. So like the whole Jonestown and all these things, I didn't know those stories. And if there were cults in Colombia, like I didn't really hear about it or anything. So when I moved up here, I was fifteen and then this thing happened in like ninety three, was it? Or something like that? I don't remember. Yeah, ninety three. Whenever it happened, I was like in high school and stuff. And so I was so blown away there were several things that happened that, that coincided for me. One, I had all these friends that were very fundamentalist, reborn Christians. And a lot of times I had like these culty vibes from some of them and stuff. Second, I couldn't understand cults. It's just like, how do people, what is that? Why would they? And then third, the whole concept of, uh, what do you mean like average citizens hold up with guns? And the, that was foreign too. Cause like in Colombia, I was like, sure, there's the guerrillas, there's the drug runners, and then there's the military. But the concept of like just some people, random people just hold up with guns and held off, like that was so foreign to me. So I, I had, I had during that time when that was happening, I was really fascinated by it. So I'm, I'm enjoying the show for, um, all those reasons. Yeah, I found it to be a fascinating miniseries that yeah. completely escaped my radar in 2018 when it came out. What? Yeah. This came out in 2018? Yeah. So I'm surprised no one asked us to watch this because it has Jeez. so much in there. If I you don't know, know, so in 93, there was a, uh, you could call it a cult. I think it's fair to call it a cult that was uh, it was a Christian cult that believed that David Koresh, the leader, was the was the Messiah, and they would be anyway. Point is, is charismatic cult in Waco, Texas, and the FBI and and ATF did a raid, uh, presumably because they believed child abuse was happening, and they had a bunch of guns that were illegal or something, and it led to a like a month and a half. Uh, siege on this compound and in the end a lot of people died and they wonder if the FBI botched the raid in in various different ways and the most interesting I think the the wonderful thing about this uh, miniseries is that it helps us understand why people join these kinds of cults like right. they don't they don't demonize the cult, but they also don't pull any punches really, right? Because they clearly show that David Koresh is having sex with all the wives, yeah, and that the guy the husbands aren't very happy about that. 
they clearly show that uh, they have a lot of guns and that they do have a lot of end of the world kind of preaching and this kind of thing. But they also show that for the average person who's lonely and wants to have a community that you have a community there, especially if you're not very close to David Koresh himself, if you're friends with all the other people like the cult in central Oregon, the um, what's his face. There was a whole documentary. I can't remember his name. That was another one of those where I had no idea that it ever happened. Yeah. And red red country, uh, wild, wild country, wild, wild, wild wild country. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and the community that it was built. So it goes into that pretty well. And from what I understand, the, uh, buildup and the way this is portrayed is at least pretty close to what happened in that. Cause the story that we were told on the news was that this total wackadoo cult was in the middle of Texas amassing all sorts of illegal guns and had all these machinations to kill all these people and they refused to comply with the law and so of course the authorities had to invade the compound that's what i was told and that's what i believed until i watched this thing and i started actually looking up the veracity of this telling and realizing oh my god there's this whole other story and the part of that that i wish they would have had in the show that they don't have is that Timothy McVeigh was there at the siege. Uh, Timothy McVeigh, if you don't know, was the guy who did the Oklahoma City bombing. Right. And he did that because he was trying to get back at the FBI who were stationed in Oklahoma City. And he uh, was watching this and probably justifiably so thought the government and the FBI and the ATF are overstepping their bound, their, you know, their jurisdiction by taking too much power. And so we as a people have to strike back in a similar way to the way we have protests right now. Now, of course, Timothy McVeigh killed hundreds or, I don't know, dozens of innocent people and children and whatnot. So it's not like he should be compared to peaceful protesting. But, but the yeah, the story is just so interesting. And hearing about all the details and cause, cause the way it was told to me was that when they did the raid at, cause, cause it lasted a number of weeks and finally yeah. they're like, okay, we just got to put an end to the raid. So they send in these tanks and they poured uh, tear gas into the building. And then the building kind of caught a little bit of fire and they were waiting for them to come pouring out and hardly anyone did. Some people came pouring out. But a lot of people didn't, including a lot of the kids. Right. And the place burns to the ground, and it's this big tragedy. And they're like, why didn't those people leave? And I remember thinking, oh, well, it's because they're crazy cult people. That was what we were being told. They didn't leave the Waco compound because they're crazy cult people. And they killed themselves. They immolated themselves in their own house. They put tear gas. Why would that cause the house to burn down? They They must have mass suicided, like, you know, Jonestown. But then you watch the documentary and you read the accounts, and that's questionable. One, uh, even if they did start the fire, many of the people were trapped because of the way these tanks were destroying the the house and made it so it was impossible for some people to get out. Yeah. And it's also possible that the tear gas caused the thing to catch on fire. I mean, I'm telling you, Berto, everything you know, but but I, I was just blown away at this 
uh, miniseries and how pertinent it is to today and how much we were lied to back then and how much the conspiracy theory in this case is actually potentially true. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And, and it, what makes it so complex is that at the same time, uh, you, know who, you know who everyone in that, in that cult would have backed right now. And it's unfortunate because they, they had a very clear view of the world uh, that was uh, apocalyptic and it was, uh, it was based on, you know, the scripture they believed in. And they really did think that, that he was a Messiah. Um, and even though there was dissension in the ranks and stuff like that, you know, they followed him and stuff. Now, what, what, I, what I thought at the time, because essentially, you know, I just got whatever they showed on the news. So I thought the same thing. And again, not knowing anything about cults, I was so confused. I'm like, wait, what happened? I, I just didn't get it. I didn't understand why people were there. I didn't understand. What do you mean he had multiple wives? So this doesn't make any sense. in Colombia, they don't have cults? No, I'm sure they do, but I never heard of them. Oh. And, and it wasn't like something big in the news or something. Mm. And I had never heard of the ones in the U.S. So, um, you know, and I wonder, well, part of it might be that Colombia historically was a very, very uniformly Catholic place. Now, there, there were Jewish people. Obviously, there's atheists, uh, probably more and more uh, uh, Muslims over the years and stuff. But, you know, the government and the culture and everything is Catholic, Catholic, Catholic. So, in some ways, like, you already kind of have a cult going. <laughs> like, you believe in a set of things already. Uh, I think some people just get more devout about it. <laughs> and it's very... I definitely grew up with my grandmas and everyone really talking about, like, the end of days and stuff. I think every generation for the last 2000 years has thought, Oh yeah, this like the end of days is now. This is what apocalypse, this is what uh, the apocalypse is talking about. And so that was already there. But what I don't remember is, and again, I'm sure it was, I was just a kid. So probably maybe I just didn't hear about it, but I don't remember growing up hearing about cults. I, I knew about, the gorillas that were fighting for specific things. And I knew about all these, other, but not cults. Well, I wonder so, if in Colombia and other countries like that, that the cults, the people who are attracted to cults and the people who are attracted to starting a cult start gorilla groups. Cause that, cause th some of those gorilla groups, at, you know, at, on a small scale could have been like mini cults, right? Uh, well, the, certain, the, yeah. the commandant, if you will, the, the warlord yeah. could be the messiah to some of these people. They are very charismatic. And certainly, you got to look at something like the, the, the Pablo Escobar and his followers. And there are a lot of cult-like elements to that. Right. You know? Now, it's fueled by an ungodly amount of money. But so are many cults. <laughs> yeah. So I recently started re-watching John Adams from 2008. Oh, yeah. With... With oh, uh, Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti, yeah. And gave it 10 out of 10. Love that. Really good miniseries. That's good. Uh, watched Paths of Glory, which is another uh, war movie that isn't... Oh. It's, it's interesting. What's that on? Netflix or...? Uh, I don't know where I saw okay. that. Um, let's see. What are some... Aliens. I rewatched Aliens recently. The J James Cameron second one? Yeah. 
Okay. And I also rewatched um, The Abyss, James Cameron. <gasps> Ooh, I love The Abyss. Yeah. And I, I remember really liking Aliens when it came out in 1986. I would have been 15 at the time. Yeah. And I remember really liking it. And I must have rewatched it, you know, at least a couple times in the 90s and in aughts or something. And I remember liking it and thinking, yeah, you know, good movie. <laughs> rewatched it a few weeks ago. And I was like, this is a perfect movie. <laughs> I, I think it's because my I'm so bothered by the way s- so many of the action movies are made today. Like, yeah. like the Birds of Prey movie or some of the DC movies like Justice League or even some of the MCU movies. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, it all comes down to a good, understandable, simple script with good directing, good acting, good set design. You don't need a bunch of CGI. I think maybe that's another part. Yeah. Like the, the MCU movies, pretty much all of them in the last five years have a totally forgettable sequence of action that you could probably just take out of the movie and <laughs> and probably like it. Like that, like that scene when uh, in the last, in Endgame, when... They are, uh, they're all blown up and are they at the Stark residence? Where are they? But they're in some house and everything blows up. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And they're at the Stark building, yeah. Okay. And everyone falls through the earth in this totally unbelievable thing. You know, uh, what is Oh, wait, are you talking about Age of Ultron? Uh, what a, no, where I like the whole cities go? Uh. No, I'm talking about Endgame. Where? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're saying. That's right. That's where Hulk lands at the. Okay. Yeah, Hulk yeah, lands yeah. and Arrow guy, whatever his Hawkeye, yes, Hawkeye he yeah. falls through the earth and everyone right. and all that is just like, ugh, come on. Whereas in Aliens, you couldn't have done that, even if you had thought it up. You'd be like, right. well, practically that would be really hard to pull off to make yeah. it look believable. So. In Aliens, everything looks completely believable. It moves fast. It's well acted. The it's just an amazing movie. I gave it ten out of ten. That said, a movie with CGI all up the everything, but with I thought very memorable action scenes was Guardians of the Galaxy. Right, totally. But the story of Star Lord at the center of the story. Yeah. is interesting and yeah. and and with the story of uh what's her face at the at the um Gamora, Gamora. And, and the raccoon story is funny and yeah. cute and heartbreaking and right everything right so but some would argue that the final battle which I didn't agree with but I could relate to where there are all the ships and everything is oh, a little yeah. is a little long the nova yeah so anyway well yes although I looked at that as, you know, that's the millennium with Lando flying in because the main thing is them. So, like, that's like the side battle. So, I'm okay with that, you know. Yeah, totally. I mean, I thought Guardians was one of the best movies of yeah. all time. I just uh, rewatched it last week and I was like, so good. So yeah. good. <laughs> uh, I watched Frozen 2. Oh, nice. <laughs> because I was like, it's just a cultural thing that you got to uh, watch. And have you seen it? Yes, I have. How many out of 10 would you give it? Oh, man. Um, I would say... Okay, let me think about it. So, Frozen 1, soundtrack, I gave it like a 
probably an eight, actually. But the movie. I love the soundtrack. Frozen one movie probably gave it a four. <laughs> uh, although I, I thought it was cute. It's just the story was like so. But Frozen two, I got bored and the music was not as good. So I would give it like a three. Yeah, that's what I gave it a three. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. The story is boring. The music uh. is not good. The uh, there's again too many elements. I mean, the whole pre- I, me and Stacy were watching it. And we're just especially because in the beginning you're thinking, okay, well, there's a bit of a mystery here. There's like this fog. Yeah. And there's these essentially these Native Americans that they're doing, right. and okay, I'll go with that. And then there's the four elements, and okay, what's happening okay. here? And then there's like the land of the four elements that she has to go and and the whole thing was just a jumbled mess. And totally. I, I and this is Disney, right? Yeah, Disney traditionally has excellent screenwriters. I mean, this is Pixar. This is. Uh, you know, what's a good Disney movie that just pure Disney movie that came out recently, like a Disney cartoon? Well, maybe that's it. Maybe like the Disney non Pixar, you know. Well, yeah. I guess, you know, they oversaw episode nine. Anyway, moving on. Well, although Princess and the Frog, although that was a few years ago, but that was good. That was a pretty good movie. Yeah. Like those sorts of movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Little Mermaid, you know. Uh, yeah. Lion Lion King. That's yeah, yeah. Lion King. Those you know, those are all Disney, and so it's just yeah, weird one... that it's just weird that Frozen was a phenomenon. Yeah, that you couldn't follow it up with anything of any value. It's just such a bad script. Yeah. It's just so bad. And, and I was especially disappointed in the music because uh, look, it's not easy to just like make a number one hit. I get it, right? But the the first soundtrack, it wasn't just the Let It Go. In fact, I'd say, like, Let It Go is fine. But the Olaf song is super funny, cute, memorable. The duet um, that uh, Anna has with uh, the the bad dude at first is super cool. It's funny, all these things. Good song, good song, good song. The the intro song with her, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Super cute, heart-wrenching, all these things. In this movie, it's like they had little solos for everyone. And the solos were just like kind of references to the 80s, but nothing memorable. Yeah. <sighs> just... I watched, I rewatched Brave, Pixar 2012. Oh, yeah, with the bear. With the bear, and uh, it's, it's uh, Scottish, right? It's in Scotland. That one gets a little. You didn't that like one it? It was a little. Uh, it, it was fine. I just. I, I lose interest about halfway through on that one. Man, I love this movie. Yeah. There's, I love the story. It's so interesting. The mom turns into a bear, and like yeah. it's such a, it's such a unique story. And the Is comedy. Is it because you're part Irish or Scottish or something? Yeah, I am part. I am part Scottish and Irish. Um, I gave it nine out of ten. I thought it was really. Thought, yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah. P- yeah. Pixar really gets me though, man. Like they know how well, to. Pixar in general it. does, and I'd say, I mean, I'd still give this one a, probably a seven. I just compared to the other Pixar movies, it's not it's not my favorite. But um, oh, people probably are wanting us to talk about this movie. Have you seen the platform? I think it's yes. On. Oh, dude. you have seen it. Oh my gosh! Yes. Okay, so let's talk about it. 
Oh. Okay, so just a synopsis of the movie, oh which isn't really spoiling anything because it's basically the whole movie. So we don't know. This is like in the future or something. It's a, Yeah, in the future in Spain. Oh, in Spain. Okay. Well, at least it's a Spanish movie. And I don't know if it's technically in Spain. The, you, so people live in the real world, and you can be put in this prison, or you can volunteer to go into the prison, essentially. Mm-hmm. And the prison is a series of platforms. So think of like a, a giant hole in the ground with a, a bunch of floors, and there's like hundreds of floors. And each floor is two people live there, and you have a like a toilet and a bunk. Think of it like a prison cell. But right in the middle of the room is a giant hole that goes all the way down to the bottom, and you can't see We don't know how far it goes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and every day, these cooks, who are awesome cooks, make this giant feast of the best food. Delicious. Like, and they put it on this platform. Five Michelin stars. <laughs> yeah. And the person at the top in, on the first floor gets to eat from the platform. Yep. They get to eat whatever they want. And they get, a, they get the first grab. And then the platform drops down to the second floor. And then the two people down there get to eat whatever they didn't eat on the floor above them. By the time the platform gets down to, like, level 90... It's just a bunch of like half-eaten chicken and and just scraps. Yeah. By the time it gets down to like level two hundred, there isn't a single morsel of food, and so so that emulates classism and this kind of thing, yeah. right? And then every once in a while, they pump sleeping gas into everything. Everyone falls asleep, and everyone gets shuffled to different to different floors. Yeah. And people try to work together. They're like, hey, let's not, uh, let's eat only our share. And everyone has learned to just be an a-hole to everyone else. Because yeah. no cooperation does not work. Particularly the lower you go, cooperation doesn't work. So it's supposed to be an allegory on society. But Berto, did you catch why someone would volunteer to go in? Because yeah, our, our main character volunteers. Yeah. It was subtle. I think, I don't know how much, because obviously you were reading the translation, because it's a subtitled movie, uh, whereas I was hearing the Spanish. So I don't know if maybe there was something lost in the translation, because in the Spanish, it's quick, but it's clear. They have this system of prestige, and the prestige gets you better things in society. And normally you just earn it through like normal means, but it takes really long or you just will never gain it enough because you might have not been born in the right place or whatever. So if you go into prison voluntarily for some amount of time, you gain some of this prestige. I forget what they call it, but it's like some sort of social capital. Oh. And then that gets you better, better stuff in life. You basically get a better job, a better position in life. You get appointed to, a spe- you know, to special uh, positions and all that stuff. If you survive. If, well, that's what they don't tell Because like, they don't tell you. That's the thing. It seems like the people that volunteer, they don't really know what they're getting into. So it's not like they're like, oh, God, it's this horrible. Because remember, when the movie starts, you, the viewer, and the dude that's there who volunteered <laughs> don't know what's up. Yeah. So, 
I think from the outside, they just know, yeah, there's like this, it's like this prison and you just got to serve your time. But if you do, you get, you essentially you earn credit in society. But, uh, like but then no one, one graduates, right? Like no one manages to make it. Apparently not. <laughs> because all these like violent things happen. So out of 10, what'd you give it? Oh man, I was, I was really moved. Um, there were, there were a couple of things I think I, I would ding it for, but overall I'd give it, I'd probably give it a 8.5. Wow. Yeah. So I gave it a six out of 10, meaning mm. that it's, you know, if you don't have other things to watch, it's definitely watchable and it's definitely an interesting premise. It's like a long Twilight Zone episode and it's not too long. It's, it's 90 minutes. Um, but I found it at certain points to be a little boring and also a little nihilistic because I, I wondered, well, because it passed a certain point in the movie, you're like, oh, they're all doomed. And I guess I get the the mission that, you know, the him and the other guy go on to like, yeah. you know, we're going to send a message and... Yeah. We're going to send a message to the top that says, we want to cooperate, and so let's all cooperate. But it just evolves so quickly, and, and it doesn't, doesn't work. And I, you know, I understand that that is the human condition. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, okay, well, this is clearly not working. It, it just it didn't. F- and then at the end, I kind of liked it because it's like, how do you wrap up a story like that in the end? But I gotta I, say, I just felt like it wasn't. I don't know. It was good. The six out of ten. It's a good movie. I wonder if there is a difference between because you know, like, even as bad as things are right now in this country, um, when you were growing up, there were a lot of crises and the gas crisis, and in the eighties, there was a lot of things and stuff. But in the U.S. Uh, there ha- the difference between the poorest and the richest, although great, uh, has never been as horrific, let's say, as it has been in other parts of the world, at least, you know, in our, in our last decades or something. Uh, I want to be careful because I know, obviously, there's people at the bottom of society in this country that are suffering tremendously. But the thing is, I, I grew up in a place where uh, that movie is almost not an allegory, <laughs> you know, uh, but where they would literally, the people living in the streets with their kids on the streets were literally called desechables, which had two meanings. Desechable means uh, uh, something that's desechable is something you can just throw away. So the polite society would refer to these people as desechables, both because they would, they would be the ones to collect all the stuff that everyone else was throwing away, but also because they were like throwaway people. Wow. Horrific. And mm. then, and you didn't, I don't know if you saw this too much because it's, it's definitely reduced a lot. But when I was growing up, the whole mountainside, the whole areas of the mountainside were what they would call invasions. And invasions meant homeless people just made their way into the mountain and like would build tin shacks and just live in the mountain with no electricity and no running water and just like, and they would form whole communities. So, you know, misery, right? And so growing up in that, and then the rich, rich, obscenely wealthy, 
And I see a movie like this and in Spanish and I know where they're coming from. And I'm like, yeah. So like, it feels very, it felt very real for me. Like I, I luckily never experienced that bottom, those bottom levels, right? But I, I, I could see that there was, that I could, you know, when I was growing up, I could see that there were these bottom levels that were horrific. And I experienced levels that weren't that great. Um, and so, I don't know, I just, I, it hit me in that way. And because of that, I, I think it had a profound effect. Yeah. And I could see it being uh, very gripping. I wonder if I would have seen it in a theater, if I would have liked it mm. more. Watching it at home when my devices are uh, getting in the way, I could imagine that not <laughs> facilitating my, my enjoyment of the movie. I don't know. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Well, that does it for that random episode, Birdo, in which we talked about nothing psychologically related and probably <laughs> bored everyone to tears. And as usual, let's have a phrase that people can say that will indicate right. that they listen to this whole thing. I'm going to make the, uh, okay. the phrase, and that is, Kokomo is the worst song of all time. No! Ah! Bastard. <laughs> so if you comment below, Kokomo is the worst song of all time, that will tell us that you listened all the way to the end. And Bronwyn, I expect you to, to put that in the, in the comment. You, Bronwyn better add a winky face at the end, letting me know that we both know that it's the opposite. <laughs> well, so you can obviously say Kokomo is the worst song of all time, and then period, and then you can say, actually, I, I sort of like it. So it's not like, it's not like that's the only thing you have to say. But. It's extortion, I tells you. <laughs> and that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. And Kokomo is the worst song of all time because... Aruba, uh, you deserve it. <laughs> uh. 